It is Tuesday, February 25th, and this is another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace, as always, joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing? I am doing well. Had a fun weekend in Indianapolis. Now I'm back home. I saw some photos of that fun. Uh, people were climbing in. Uh, what are those things called? You know, the basketball Papa video shot. games? Papa shot. You were climbing in some Papa shots? Hey, the, the balls were stuck in the net. We asked the bartender what to do. They basically didn't give a shit. We're okay with us climbing into it. So I did. And the, do you blame the bartender honestly? Like, like think about him. He's he's seeing a bunch of like twenty to thirty year old like neckbeards who play magic, like getting hammered and trying to like yell at him about basketballs. We're trying. I'm sure we weren't yelling at him. I don't have a very vivid memory, and I don't think I'm the one who went up to the bar. Um, but uh, you know, I, our my issue was that the bouncer was very mad at us when we had when they weren't there, and we had talked to another employee. And had explicit permission from them to do it. And also, like, the entire thing, you know, it's not like I broke anything. It was a, it's, it's not like I broke I will say, No harm, no foul. I, I, can, I can understand the bouncer being mad if he, like, didn't know what was going on ahead of time. So, oh, yeah. it's, like, it's kind of hard to be, like, super mad at the bouncer for, you know, quote-unquote, doing his job. Sure, but once we explain, any ire should be directed towards that bartender. <laughs> sure. <laughs> We're just following instructions. That sounds... That sounds reasonable. I don't know if that's ever going to be what happens, but... Well, I mean, they let us stay there and keep playing, so they couldn't have been that mad. We did learn that Anderson LeClaire is the best of us at Papa Shot. I'm kind of surprised by that. Like, nothing against Anderson. It's just like, I don't know. Well, none of you are really that athletic, I guess, so... Oh, yeah, and I'm very bad at basketball. You know, you surprised me at how adequate you were at... Uh, at Wiffle Ball? Wiffle Ball. I almost yeah. said Foosball. At Wiffle Ball especially in dress shoes. For those who don't know, the uh, the Open in Vegas uh, a little over a year ago that Ross, Brendan, and I played in, we went to uh, what's adequately known as The Farm. It's the, the place where uh, Jessup was staying with like Ben Friedman and some other people. And it's just a huge piece of property out in Vegas. It's really nice. Like They have their... Uh, they're on like gondola, like really nice pools, and they have a uh, wiffle ball like field, like the full. They have like field. a stadium. There's there's yeah. seating there. It was know. awesome. Yeah, it's it honestly was. unreal. And we were playing, and uh, like Ross gets off the plane, and he's like, "Hey, what do I do?" I'm like, "Come here right now! Like, come come to here! Like, me and Jim Davis are here. Like, Brad Carpenter was there. Like, just a bunch of Magic players. We're all playing, and Ross shows up, and he's like, doesn't have tennis shoes." Or any shoes that could be athletic. He's, we were wearing like wingtipped pretty like shoes, pretty yeah, much. I, yeah, oh, I was wearing uh, I was wearing cap toe Oxfords. Yeah, th- that those words. That's what he was wearing. Th- those shoes. It looked like penny loafers from from far away. You know, it has that. You know, it has that brown that you only see on dress shoes. You know, what yeah. I'm talking about like that really deep tan, like or the, the the sheen from the leather. Yeah, like a little bit of cream in it, maybe or whatever. But like. But yeah, you actually like made contact almost every time you swung. It was impressive. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but yeah, I told you that I was going to do nothing but spray singles, and that's what I did. You know, yeah. I'm basically, I was just the Ichiro Suzuki wiffle ball. Uh, I you know, none of us were great in the field, but I wasn't that great. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Speak for yourself. I was an all star out there. Sure, probably compared the to the rest of us. Sure. Yeah, I was one of the people who could run. That's the thing. Yeah. Once again, that was, I, think, I was playing in dress shoes, so. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was the biggest problem. Was like, not a lot of us could actually run. You know, Jim was out there in his, like, 14-year-old tennis shoes and his painting pants. <laughs> I always joke about it. I was like, yeah, you're wearing your painting shorts, right? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, the shorts you, like, paint in. And he's like, these are just shorts, Tan. And I'm like, then why is there paint all over them? <laughs> like, like, it was just, I just don't this get it. It's an ongoing I argument, just, like, apparently. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, how do you understand, A, how do you understand what my reference is? 
Like you, you dressed yourself this morning, didn't you? Not like maybe not maybe it? just all of his pants now are covered in paint, and he just doesn't mind it. Maybe it's like a thing that I didn't know, like a like a um a fashion statement that I didn't know about, like magic players who were also in bands and played hockey. That's what you did. You wore shorts that have that have paints. Believe me, I Jim Davis is near the bottom of the list of people who would ever intentionally make a fashion statement. Oh, he is the bottom of the list. Yeah. He is the actual floor. Like that dude. And I don't mean this in a bad way. He gives zero shits. Yeah. You know? And I honestly, like, I'm kind of jealous. I'm not. You know, like, you're not. No. I'm, I'm a little jealous about, like, just never caring about, like, not in a bad way. It's not like he's, like, you know, doesn't have good hygiene or anything like that. No. It's just, you know, he just, hey, just, you know, doesn't care. He doesn't need to wear nice clothing. Doesn't need to, doesn't need to impress. And, you know, there's, there's some freedom that's attached to that that is, uh, you know, to be envied. Yeah, he's, he's already engaged. Now he gets to let himself go. But so do you. So do you. So what What are you? I'm coming in the other way out of that, actually. I had kind of like let myself go a little bit. Like I was getting a little bit of weight added. You know, I was like sitting around, like having a drink at night, eating dessert a little, a little too often, you know, that kind of stuff. Over the last about like two or three weeks, man, I've really been like my diet's been a lot better. I've been trying to exercise every day as much as I can. Um, I work on the fourth floor of my building every day. Uh, I, I don't take the I don't take the elevator up. I'll only take the elevator down. And today was a rough day for that because uh, like I got there early, uh, I drank a lot of water, so I had to go to the restroom a few times and, uh, I'll make myself go to the restroom on a different floor. And then, um, I forgot something in my car. So I had to go up the full flight of stairs, like, like I think four or five times. And on the fourth or fifth one, I try to do it like a good speed too. You know, I'm not just like meandering up the thing. I'm like, you know, a decent pace and, uh, dress shoes, especially the ones that I wore today, they have more weight to them. Like I had more that was like, there aren't Doc Martens, but they're more like, you remember Doc Martens back in the day, how they had like that little weight on the bottom of the shoe. So like the fourth or fifth time that I'm doing it today, I was like, man, my quads and like my glutes were like barking. You know, I was like, oh, this actually, I could, I could feel this. So got a little bit of a leg workout in today. That was nice, I guess. But uh, I've actually uh, been quite vegetarian lately. I have like barely had meat over the last few weeks. So uh and not that it's like the only way that I'm changing my diet. I'm just trying to be trying to be healthier. I just I feel better most of the time when I don't overeat meat. So la di da. Yeah, it all came from I went I spent uh, last weekend or was it last weekend or two weeks? I spent I think it might have been last week. I don't remember, but we went to Florida for a few days, and uh, you know we went to like Disney for one day and did some other stuff. But we had Korean barbecue while we were out there, and you know they don't have that here, and. Dude, eating that much meat in one sitting when you're not used to that anymore, dude, I was jacked up for like four days. <laughs> I was just, I was just not okay. <laughs> Your body's like, like, like Tannen, what are you doing to me? Yeah, it's, it's like, can you imagine the like if you ever give up being vegetarian, like how gradually you're gonna have to ease that back into yourself and into your diet, like. It would probably mess you up pretty bad the first time. If you're just like, oh, steak, you don't know, eat the whole thing. Like, eh, I don't I'm eat this porterhouse. I'm like, you say that, you say that. Well, your your stomach might be a little more ironclad than mine. Yeah, I've never I've never had a very sensitive stomach, so I feel like I I, I could handle it. I kind of want to go out and literally just get a steak now. I I literally just eat a steak to spite you. It just just to do the experiment. Yeah. Like I'm gonna laugh when you do that, and you start text. I'm gonna wake up to text at like two or three <laughs> in the morning. This was a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I regret everything. Tan, <laughs> like, I hate you. This is all your fault. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe for next week's episode, we'll get to have a discussion about this. That'd be nice. It's like Ross, how was how was that steak? <laughs> it was delicious. Going it was down. Delicious. 
Yeah, going down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was your when you ate meat? What was what was your steak of choice? Uh, I like uh, sirloin. Actually, I was yeah, never like, a huge ribeye fan. Everybody talks like all the foodie people always talk about ribeye like it's the fucking second coming. And it's I, good. Yeah, it's good. But it, it was honestly, it was always too fatty. I don't know if I know. Like, I never had a yeah. ribeye from like, you know, one of those really fancy steakhouses where it's like 60 bucks. Um, but like, I know at the end, you're supposed to like render down a lot of that fat. And I feel like if you go to a medium place, they just don't do that. They don't do it. Yeah. yeah. So there's always this like really big strip of gristle on the side of it. Which is just like either awkward to like cut off or, and like took a lot of the size away, or just like awkward to eat. Like I don't want to eat a straight like a little bit of it. I don't eat b- it. between, but like yeah, the big st- streak of it. Like, ugh. so uh, I liked it slightly leaner, um, and the the sirloin. Uh, oh, I just like the flavor of it. That's where I yes. was. I was like a. a I will eat all that. I'm a fillet guy too, just because like I don't like humongous hunks of meat yeah when you get the filet it's always like a nice six ounces yes six yeah six ounces is like perfect man because like also they cook it really well it's like i don't i don't want the meat sweats you know what i mean like i'm i'm just good like that's that's enough yeah you got a nice thing of mashed potatoes and grilled asparagus next to it do do you want to know a secret that enough people don't do when you go to like like you're talking about this you you mentioned like the nice steakhouse where the steaks are like sixty dollars and stuff you know like if you go to like you know a nice one everyone just always gets steak there Right, like they always get like, oh, I'm just gonna get a steak here. Like, have you ever tried any of the other dishes on the menu? They're absurd. Like, they're always extremely good, <laughs> like very well, like perfectly prepared, like perfectly spiced, like great sides that complement it well. And then you can ask, be like, hey, you know, like what glass of wine should I have with this? And they'll give you like the perfect one. Yeah, if you get like the chicken or the, they always have like lamb chops, some sort of. Yeah, seafood. I usually I usually shy away from the chicken just because like it, chicken is chicken. You know, yeah. what I mean, you can only do so much. But like, no, I agree. The, the fish, the fish meals, or yeah. like like you said, like if they have any of the off meats, like lamb or duck. Oh, God, duck. Don't get me started. I love some duck. But like anything like I, I just love how we're having this long discussion about meat, Ross. I'm sorry. I'm being very insensitive. Oh, no worries. I'll, I'll stop. I, I loved duck for uh, as well. That was near the top of my list. Uh, my favorite meal in the entire world involves duck, and I have to fly across the country to get it. And I am like very close to booking a fl- Like, you know, you're joking about going to steak tonight. I'm just going to book a flight to go do this. <laughs> We're gonna have a lot to talk about next week. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, how was your? How was your? I spent the day in Vegas. What'd you do? Where'd you go? I just, I just went to Lotus Siam three times. Got the same <laughs> meal all three times. They looked at me like I was crazy, but you know, and then I got, then I got on a plane home. <laughs> yeah, then I got on a plane home. Yeah, I just got a red eye. Yeah, no big deal. Went straight to work. You know, just never changed. Just wore the same clothes. <laughs> yeah, didn't bring anything. I, yeah. I really like want to. I don't know how you you do it because like. Like if you're going anywhere, like you need stuff, but I want to travel with like literally nothing on me because I feel like the experience of going through an airport with no luggage would be a thousand times better. Huh? So I got to experience a little bit of that when we, uh, I went to Ecuador last year with the family. And when we did this, we had, uh, going one of the ways we had like a 10 and a half hour layover and then coming home, we had like an 11 hour layover or something like that in the Miami airport. Cause it was, uh, the, the only way we could make it work was that because otherwise our connecting flight was like 27 minutes after we landed or whatever, or like 30 minutes. Yeah, after you're really not making that ever. Well, Miami is gigantic. It was like six of us with a ton of bags, our dog and a 13 year old. Like there was no yeah. way we were making And you have flight. to go through customs like. Yeah, and you have to go through customs. So waiting there, um, I actually got to kind of feel that like experience what you're talking about because my dog refused to use the bathroom in the indoor dog like yeah they have like the, the patch right yeah yeah she just was like off it 
So I had to bring her outside of the airport and then come back through everything every time. So I would do this, you know, four times over the span of 10 or 11 hours. Just go through security four times? Yeah. And they just got, they, they got to know me. They were like, yep, come on. They, they brought me over the side. I would, I would just put her <laughs> on the on the thing and they'd, they'd wave her. They'd like check her out real quick and I would go walk through and I just like didn't have any bags or anything. I was like, what's up, you know? And I would get stopped every time because people want to, you know, pet my dog because I have this gorgeous dog walking through an airport yep. and stuff. So, but it was pretty cool. By the way, she was unbelievably well behaved on the plane awesome like we were like worried we brought some stuff to give her to like sedate her a little bit if we need to you know like some stuff to put her to sleep or whatever you know like if we need to but like dude just sat in we gave her to uh natalie's dad she loves that man because he uh he always has treats on him so he just like kind of bribes her but she just sat in his lap and just stayed there the entire time didn't make a sound every time i see like a viral tweet of somebody who sat next to someone with a dog on an airplane i just get so jealous yeah. I'm so, like, you're so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I would sit in a middle seat every flight if there was a dog next to me. The flight back, um, they they kind of separated us a little bit. And when we get on the plane, um, since she's a service animal, she would be with Natalie, like, right, you know, when we get on the plane. And so Natalie and I sit down in one of the rows of three. And this, like, 50-year-old woman sits next to us and sees that my wife has a dog and does this mo- the most demonstrative eye roll I've like ever seen, and does like the scoff, and she's like, Ugh. like you know, I have to sit next to this dog. It's gonna be awful. You just made me think of this, and you're like, you know, most people are like, oh, this is great, and she was like off it, didn't want anything to do with it or whatever, blah blah blah. And like, when the flight was over and we start to get off the plane or whatever, she just looks at, she's like, your dog is so well behaved. Like, yeah, what the hell do you expect? Like, <laughs> you just bring a yeah. wild animal on the plane and not in a cage. Like, Fuck off, Karen. Yeah, exactly. I would not be surprised if that was a Karen. Yeah. yeah. She had the haircut. She was going to ask to see a manager for sure. Yeah, any any noise. Yeah, the the, the, the ding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I be moved? Preferably to first class where I belong. <laughs> yes. You know? Leave these commoners back here. <laughs> exactly. Hey, so uh, did you do anything else fun this weekend? I know you did... Was it okay at the open? I didn't see your final results. I lost playing for day two and then lost playing for cash in the classic both times in the last round. So played the maximum number of rounds for the least amount of prize. Was it Pioneer both times? Yeah, I just played Breach both times. Deck was mediocre. My play was uninspired. I think I lost six matches on the weekend. I think I could have won three of them pretty easily if I just played tighter. <laughs> um, I flooded a lot. You know, that also happens when you lose a lot of matches. But, uh, you know, people just brought a lot of hate, you know, even though everybody was sort of right and they didn't think that Breach was going to be that popular, but like, nobody was taking any chances. <laughs> everybody everyone brought, had. Yeah, everybody yeah. brought their Dampic Spheres and their Ley Lines and their, you know, whatever. Really, Dampic Spheres is the big one. Uh, I got called out in our Discord for how I pronounce that because apparently when I talk really quickly and I'm not thinking about it, I say dampening sphere, which Dude, a lot every, of people do. Literally everyone says that. Yeah. Corey does it, it on Versus Live 90% of the time. Does it make your skin crawl after a while? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I know it's damping sphere, like, and I try to say it, but when you're, you know, like mid tirade of like going off about something and you're like trying to say stuff real fast, it just it just comes out, man. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Damping yeah, oh, sphere. Oh, I'm sorry, you pronounce everything correctly. My bad, I forgot. Indeed I do. It's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. Words are hard. Language is hard, Ross. En- English not... in particular, because it's a weird mishmash of, you It's know, actually very difficult. It's Norman, French, Latin, and different Germanic languages. It's, it's wrong. It's okay just to say that it's wrong, Ross. And then 
Did you know that uh, like all the vowel pronunciation pronunciations shifted in English and like from like the 15th century to the 18th century? It's so like over that period, the, the way they pronounced them was they they used to be pronounced a lot more like uh, you know Romance languages like Latin, but that to what they are now it was just kind of shifted over a few hundred years. It also shifts depending on what part of the country you're in. If you, if you do it, in well, yeah, but that's accents. That's a whole. Yeah, that's yeah, a whole I'm different just, thing. I know. I'm just messing with you because you're you know talking about this thing that nobody's actually going to care about. So I was trying to make it yeah. easy for you to transition out of this conversation. This is one of the favorite classes that I ever took in college was Middle English literature. And we began the class with a unit on the history of the middle of the English language. So I was gonna say I have a I have a literature minor. I'm trying to remember if I t- if I took that exact course or not. I know I took European literature at some point. I might take a more broad. Yeah, class and probably more like more modern stuff like your your yeah. um, and also when most people in like especially in academia when they say European they usually mean continental European like yes. England is sort of separate yeah because like I would say if you wanted something with the college that I went to if you wanted to take something very specific it was more like graduate level you know it was more like your your last year type stuff because I remember I took some really cool graduate level courses and some really bad ones so. Like some were very interesting and some were very bad. So, we just read like Chaucer, uh, I, Canterbury yeah. Tales, and yeah, um, I read that Sir like Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, I was I read all that stuff in, in like high school and stuff too because I went to I went to a private school that was like a Catholic school, so obviously we read all that stuff. Yeah, you know, they, yeah, because like their their list of stuff that you can read in those schools is, is extremely small. <laughs> they, they read all the English literature from before England became Protestant, like yeah, back in the good old days yeah. when we had the Catholic monarchy. Yeah, it's like this won't offend anyone. It doesn't talk about evolution. <laughs> like, I mean, have you read the Canterbury Tales? It is not appropriate for children. Yeah, you know what I mean overall. So yeah. I'm making kind of a broad stroking joke here about stuff. But anyway, yeah, it's definitely not if you read the entire thing. There's definitely yeah. some, we would only read certain excerpts. Yeah, the, the Knight's Tale, which is the most famous yep. for, and it's the longest one, is the most chaste of them. Yeah. But the rest of them are body tales and debaucherous to say the least. I like those words, by the way. Those are really descriptive, good words that English literature kind of came out in you. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, so you think Breach was a really bad choice for this weekend? I, 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 w- I was I kind of really bad, but yeah, it was. It was not, not good. good. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't good. Um, and and our I kind of felt that. Good. I kind of felt that going into the weekend. I felt that like if you're gonna play Breach, you either have to have like really good plans, run really good, or like get pretty lucky. Because I. Yeah, like I did said, none I, of those things. Yeah, didn't check any of the boxes. <laughs> yeah, it's zero boxes checked. Because I, I feel like going into the weekend, you even though it wasn't correct, it felt like you were public enemy number one. You know, because because like what you know because there, there's cards that hammer you right. Like you could play damping sphere. You know, you can't play a damping sorry, sphere. Sorry, it's pronounced burner. damping sphere. Shut up. You can't you can't play a card like that for the inverter matchup. You know what I mean? So like, there's yeah. no just hammer card for them. So they're like, you know what? This is easy. I dedicate three to four slots on my sideboard for this, and then I'm just open up for everything else. Yeah, and that's basically what people did. And, um, you know, obviously, like, we came, tried to come prepared for it, but there's only so much you can do from the uh, breach side of things. Like, you can't sideboard 15 cards the way other decks can. Like, I have people siding 12 cards against me. And uh, people just that's really... Yeah, I mean, I won that match, but people really don't like... Losing, and they didn't draw any of their separate cards in game two, so that, that was good. That was nice of them. Yeah, I've, I've always found, and I mean, they're in the right sometimes, that anytime there's been a combo deck that's been good in a format, people go ham on sideboard yeah. cards. It's like, remember when K, like people sideboards during KCI? Oh, yeah. It was just like, I'm bringing in my entire sideboard, and my main deck had cards for it already. 
Yeah, and I completely agree that people really and it part of it is people just don't like losing to combo decks. Um, and part of it is this like you know this deck is good. You know you have to try hard to beat it, but you also know that if you try hard enough, you will beat it. And a lot of the common uh, tropes in the way that Magic metagames evolve boil down to peace of mind. You know, people don't like decks where that dynamic is true, where if that like you're a known quantity and people want to beat you, they can because you feel like you're out, like your results are going to be out of your control, right? And, you know, people also don't like losing to those decks because they feel like it was in their control to just sideboard more cards. So they tend to go overboard in hating those decks out. You know, the same dynamic happens with Dredge and Storm and things like that. Um, but what the decks that people do gravitate towards and quickly become top contenders are ones that are never down and out in a matchup. Even if they're not better overall, you know, if a deck, if there's, if you know, contrived scenario, if you have... Um, if you have a deck that is like 60% against half the field and 40% against half the field versus a deck that is 100% against 50% of the field and 0% against the other 50%, like people will, will generally, barring other factors, I know like you can talk about winners of metagames and a bunch of other things, but, uh, but you know, people are going to gravitate towards the 60-40 deck as opposed to the 100-0 deck. You know, and, and speaking of that, we had a very good example of that happen this weekend in the Open where Solta Delirium was like, one of, if not the most represented deck in the field, right? It was number two to Inverter, but it was pretty close. Like, they were really 1A, 1B in terms of just representation. That is much higher than I expected, and I think you were on the same page. Yes, I completely agree. I actually thought the second most played deck after Inverter was going to be Bant Spirits. And I don't know if you took Bant and Azorius, because I know the Lotus I, Box I would, would play count Azorius. That I would count well, that together. If you, if you put them together, does it approach that same number? I, don't, I didn't look. I, I really thought that uh, Sultai would kind of die down a little bit because I don't think it's very good against Inverter. And that's going to, like, you know, all. and I thought those, the people that want to play those mid-range decks are going to be choosing between those two. And if one of them beats the other one head-to-head, -head, that's going to be a major factor in their decision-making. Yeah, uh, I have the, the metagame breakdown right now. Um, day two uh, decks, uh, 16 Inverter, 15 Delirium, so we were very close. Like, I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that's a wash. Uh, Band Spirits was 9, and Azori Spirits was 3, so that makes 12 total, so also very, very close, which would make it the third played deck, which Bant was. So, uh, so yeah, really, the, the the biggest thing with the metagame for me was that, you know, Sultai Delirium just was very popular. Now, it put, what, like, one at one on the top 8? Did it put any of the top 8? Yeah, it was 0, uh, right? Top me, 8 was 4 Inverter, 2 Mono White, a Golgari, and a Blue Eye Control. Yeah, I think so. Let me make sure on that, but go ahead, yeah. So, you know... There, that's yeah it was ninth yeah oh and it was ninth on breakers i think yeah or uh yeah because some 12 threes missed I, i'd have to check that but yeah it was it was ninth and then it littered into like the top 16 to, to 20 whatever range a lot with like where you know the the, the edgars and the zach in the uh not, not zach allen uh the a lot of top, carpenters and what top 32s i see here yeah, yeah a lot, a lot, a lot of, of x4s Honestly, and I understand too because if I had to pick up one of these decks and just play with it, like I would gravitate towards Sultai Delirium quite a bit. It's just like a deck that a lot of people want to play because it's Jund. Like you said, like you're never just out of it. Like your your deck can beat anything. Uro is one hell of a magic card, and we were talking about this before the before the day because like you might have been getting this was before we were doing the show, and you might have been uh what's the right word here? You might have been kind of tongue in cheek when you were saying this that you think. You're like, Delirium's just a bad deck. 
you know, you're like, oh, obviously it's not as good as people think it is. And like, you're probably right. But the thing is, is like when I look at it and I look at the deck, it's it's just an Uro deck with a bunch of really good cards built around it yeah. and to facilitate it. Like, you know, you have Seder Wayfinders and like Fatal Pushes and Thought Seizes, like some of the, you know, cards that are really good at enabling it or, you know, making sure you survive to cast this card. And it just seems great. Um, one more thing before we get really into this, I did want to talk about one card that was like, um, actually, you know what? Never mind. I just, I just corrected myself, and I don't want to sound stupid on the cast. So go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, you know, it just Shannon, seems the time like an... for that is past. Yeah, like, I know. You I, should be just... over that by now. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I answered my own question. I'll, I'll let everybody know what it is. I didn't know Eat to Extinction could target a Planeswalker. I thought I could only target a creature. And I was like, why are people playing this over Veraska's Contempts? Because I just watched these decks lose to Jace all day long. And I'm like, why can't your removal spell also hit a Planeswalker? And I'm like, oh, this is just an easier to cast. Yeah, Veraska's Contempt. So, yeah, I'm, I need to read the read the cards. I haven't played the new set a lot, okay? Also, this card, you know, like, I haven't just cast, I just haven't cast this card. Anyway, but, like, I mean, I get gravitating towards this deck because, it, it I mean, Uro is very good at, like, hands down wins some matchups by itself and gets it like buys you enough time with the cards like thought season fatal which we're talking about to get you to that in game with like emrakul yeah ishkana emrakul and uro can take over a game by itself too by just casting it or escaping it so you know it's just a real a very good magic card and it found a great home there and i agree that that is the kind of deck that people uh, gravitate to i just thought that we'd see um i thought we'd see a higher spread of people playing Demir Inverter, at least between the two of them, but they were roughly equal, which was surprising. Granted, we don't know what the metagame looked like on day one. You know, maybe Solta is a deck that just does really well on day ones. You know, sometimes Inverter, I think Inverter has a little bit, you know, has a little bit of a fail rate, right? Because you're not as robust. And like, if you just never find an Inverter in the top, you know, 25 cards of your deck, 30 cards of your deck, they, you could just struggle. Even if you got really far ahead early, like your opponent will just draw back into the game. And that fail rate really just doesn't exist with Sultai because it, you, you win with a variety of different things. And, you, you know, you have traverses and, and grapples going along and a, a, a huge, a much higher threat density, whereas the the inverter deck just has a bunch of air in it. You know, it has all the opts and dig through times and stuff. Um, so that fail rate, you know, it does, or the lack, really the lack of a fail rate does um, get people to gravitate towards Sultai. But there was also like the, the heavy prevalence prevalence of graveyard hate you know people sometimes rest to peace and leyline can be good against inverters sometimes they're not so good they are generally reasonable against um breach and it's quite good in this matchup in, in this matchup like it stops your Uro from ever you know staying on the battlefield it prevents traverse from being a good card it you know makes emrakul basically uncastable ishkana bad like you know your jace is a looter but it's not never going to generate card advantage so you're really relying on like tireless tracker and planeswalkers at that point so uh really reduces their you know angles for generating card advantage which is nice and so uh, i really thought that would keep it down but certainly seems like uh you know a certainly seems like those two are, are you know the two best performing decks even though sultai did not crack the top eight you know, it's actually a little surprising to me that I say that I would gravitate towards this because I do like these cards. Like, I like Soul Tide's one of my favorite, like, wedges. That's the what they call the three-color stuff, right? Wedges? Uh, so there's a shard. There's a shards, shards and wedges. The wedges are from cons, so Soul Tide would be a wedge. Okay. Well, it's one of my favorite three-color combinations in Magic. How about that? And uh, it, it, it 
surprises me now that I say that I gravitate towards because I played Jundan Open once, and boy, was that just a mistake. I remember finishing, like, you know, round four, dropping from the tournament, round five, dropping from the tournament, and just like, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss some people off. I was like, man, that deck is just not good. And it's, I'm not calling your deck bad. That's not, obviously your deck is not bad. You're talking about modern Jund? Yeah, just modern Jund. Yeah, like actual blood braid elf and stuff. You You know, know, Jund won the modern classic last weekend, right? I'm I'm aware, I'm aware. But like, I don't know, man, like... the deck is just a pile of good cards. It's like it's 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 the exact how you feel about Soulti Delirium. You know, oh yeah, you're like it's just oh, a bunch ha- of good cards. I hate these kinds of decks. Yeah, uh, you know, and I I don't enjoy playing them. You know what it is, Ross? It's not the deck. It's me. I don't get it. I don't play well with it. I don't understand what's going on. Like it's just not my style. Yeah, you give there's... me a deck with like twenty six lands in it, thirty four underpowered cards, but they're like aggressive blue shitters, and I'm good. I'll win a lot of games. Yeah, I I need like a real defined game plan. When I'm yeah. playing Jund, I'm just like, I don't know what matters. Like, it depends on the next ten cards of their deck. You know, are are, are they gonna draw? And like, all you all you do is like play the percentages all the time, yeah. over and over again, and you have to get them all right, and then you're sixty percent to win because the other forty percent of the time they like drew an unlikely string of cards and you lose. It's like I could just go to the casino and play blackjack if I want to do that. Like, why yeah. am I? Like, why am I, why am I traveling to a Magic tournament? To yeah, they, they don't even give me free drinks at Magic tournaments. And also, like, yeah, they're like, oh, Blackjack's expensive. Have you seen the price of Jundex? <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are not cheap. Blackjack's only expensive if you lose, man. <laughs> also, let's be real. Nobody has a normal, like, I, I, I said this for years on the on the Open Tour, uh, the Open Series. N- nobody has a regular version of Jund. Anytime I've ever played against Jund player, it's it's foil. <laughs> it's foil yeah, it's it's a hundred percent a foil deck. It's a, they're like, I bought this deck, I got all the foil cards, I'm dying with this, I'm registering this deck. Yeah, I'm gonna be buried with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is going to no one but me. Um, speaking of Jund, let's talk about the other two colors that aren't Jund with Azorius Control because that actually had a pretty <laughs> good. Speaking of Jund, let's do the yes. exact opposite. Yes, exactly. Look, all I'm right, done with this, Ross. It's called a segue. Have you ever heard of it? But uh, less a segue and more like a, a ricochet. You just like bounced off the wall and now you're going in the opposite direction. It's called a ricochet. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but we saw a blue white deck actually do pretty well at the tournament. It finished third in the open. And, um, you know, you said you don't think the inverter matchup's good for this deck. I heard that he was beating a lot of inverter decks, but it does seem pretty good against a lot of the other decks that are going on in the format. Like um, we got to see him play against a deck we're going to talk about in a minute, like mono white devotion and, I, I that didn't seem super great. Also, one of the other decks we're going to talk about in a minute that made top eight that he played against, I felt really bad because I thought this person had a chance to win the tournament, but instead got paired up against his nightmare matchup in the top eight in the uh, green black aggro deck because that deck just puts inverter in its place. I'll tell you that. So, um, but seeing this blue white deck, I mean, I gotta say I'm pretty excited. And honestly, it's it's like almost standard legal when I look at it. You know, like. You're looking at the Planeswalkers. Yeah, it's got Gideon the Trials and Big Teferi, but you're seeing, you know, Little Teferi. Then you're seeing a bunch of stuff like Omen of the Sea and stuff like that. And uh, Doan's Vetoes, Sinister Sabotages, like obviously Supreme Bird. You know what I mean? Like a lot of direct things. But we've seen that Blue White is like the best deck hands down and standard. And uh, do you think this thing is playable in Pioneer? Because uh, for it's a while there, play- it was really good. It's certainly playable. And looking at it, I think sh- this is Sean Mogelgard. His list looks well put together because I like the move to Sinister Sabotage. I think that 
this was going to always be a less aggro metagame than we've seen recently. So getting yeah, away from Zorb yeah, was very smart. Good call on that. Um, you know, I like having a million sensors in this kind of metagame too, because, you know, spending the time to cycle it when it's bad is less punishing against the non-aggressive decks. Um, Omen of the Sea is just really, really good card selection. Helps you just get past all that removal in the matchups where you need to, because you still got to play a good amount of removal main. That card just super impressed me, by the way. The more I play with it, it's just really good. Yeah, it's just a good card. And then Azorius Charm, like, you know, again, this is, a, if you're not expecting a lot of aggro, you still need to prepare for it. But we've, we're playing our removal spell that cantrips, so we're going to get to our good cards in the main deck and have a much better chance in those game ones in our bad matchups. Um, I think it's, it was also smart to play it on this weekend if you expected Breach to either not show up or not do well, because Azorius does not do well against Breach. Um, that that was a, a very bad matchup for them. So th that deck declining is good for them. Uh, and I think that was kind of the tale of this tournament, right? There were some decks that are not good against uh, Breach that did well, and along with, you know, the Inverters and Salty Deliriums of the world. I think all of these other decks that are doing well are decks that are not good against Breach. And yeah, you know, we kind of saw that in A, that could that could have been a conscious decision. They were like, I don't think Breach is going to show up. Breach showed up, just not in day two. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't I, do I, super well. I didn't well. see a lot of it on day one either, you know? Yeah, I, I'm saying it was still there. It's not completely out of the metagame. Like, if there was another Pioneer open next weekend, I would think the number would be very, very small. Yes. On Breach. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. So, you know, we're seeing that that was a good place to position yourself. If you weren't going to play the default best deck in Demir Verder, then you should be playing a deck that is going to be, you know, weak to the matchup that it that is going to underperform. And, you know, those people did well. They got rewarded. All right, let's go ahead and talk about one of the other decks that I mentioned for a second, the green-black aggro deck. We talked about this a little bit last week because it did really well online. I think it won the PTQ, if I remember right. Yeah. And this is a deck that I talked about that, like, I could see this deck, you know, making a splash and being a thing in Pioneer because... I, I've I've watched him on I've watched people on camera play this. I've heard people talk about this. That I respect their opinions. They're like, this deck does really well against Inverter because Inverter just doesn't interact this deck very well. All of your like best draws involve Elvish Mystic or Lamar Elves into some kind of three mana five or seven power creature. You're, you know, you're looking at stuff like Lovestruck Beast, Rotting Regisaur, Steel Leaf Champion. There's Galta in this deck, and you can do that on turn three with the right draws. And stuff like that. So, like, these huge creatures that cost three or more. And one weakness that we've seen out of the Inverter deck is its removal spell of choice is four Fatal Push, right? But it doesn't do the best job at triggering Revolt. So, it's hard for him to kill the, like, one big threat this, this deck is presenting. Yeah. A uh, deck puts a lot of a clock on you. You see we have a bunch of Leyline of the Voids on the sideboard, which uh, I've reiterated several times now is good against Inverter if you are putting pressure on them. So, you know, they're, they're going to want to play their inverter on turn four or five, block one of your big things to survive, and then kill you on the untap. You know, if you force them to have to hold on to that and kill you on turn six or eight, uh, then it's going to be much easier to just overload some of their removal, stick at least one threat, and clock them pretty quickly, because all of your threats are so big. Yeah, and speaking of that, like, I really like Steel Leaf Champion a lot, because... Uh, most of the creatures besides Inverter itself and the Inverter deck can't block this creature. Like, you can't chump this creature with a Thassa's Oracle or a Jace Prince Prodigy, so this thing is just getting in there for chunks of five every time. And then another cha change that we saw in this deck that I thought was pretty cool is Collected Company was added to it. And that's not a card that was originally in a lot of the list, and here's the thing. Yeah, it's kind of funny that Collected Company is in this deck because, like, you're not doing anything cool with it, right? 
You know, you're not hitting like selfless spirit. You're not hitting spell queller. You're just hitting two more giant freaking idiots. You know, you're just hitting two more big pieces of meat. You know, like we talked about earlier. But honestly, that might just be good enough. And like, it allows you to play on an axis that's a little different too. You know, like you don't get hit by sorcery speed sweepers as, as often. Though I do think the blue white match which we saw on camera is just god awful for this deck. And I felt really bad for Sean who top aided with this deck because. I was like, man, if he dodges the blue-white guy, I think he's got a chance to win this tournament. Because there was, I think, was it four or five inverter decks in top eight? Four. So I was like, yeah, half of the, at least half is, is good. And I was like, he can probably beat these mono-white decks. Like, there's draws that have got to be, you know, like, I don't know what the matchup's like, but there's got to be draws that are good. Baffling in is kind of a kind of a, a, a bad card for you or whatever. But, you know, you've got some good cards for it. And he just immediately plays against blue-white. Everyone selects it to be on camera, which I felt really bad. Because they're like, oh, it's the cool, like, non-inverter matchup. You know, it's the only one. And it was not close. <laughs> like, and I felt really bad for him because it looked real bad. It made his deck look really bad. But he played against Pete Ingram on camera and worked him at one point. So if you're looking, if you're looking for a deck to beat Inverter, if you're playing against a lot of Inverter and you don't like that kind of thing and you want to beat it, this is the deck to try out. Yeah, it, it is weird to me that this deck did very poorly at both players' tours, and maybe that had to do with the you know the caliber of the pilots because basically none of the you know best players in those events were playing Golgari Aggro. Uh, but it, its results were really, like, just... Heinous? Yeah, not not good. But if it is a deck that matches up well against Inverter, then, you know, that's the best place to start it with. And, like, starting your deck with Elvish Mystic Clan or Elves and just curving into good threats is going to win games against a lot of people. I, like, I agree with you that Collected Company is a good addition, especially in a metagame filled with a bunch of discard spells and cheap removal. Like, they're going to trade with you on the first three turns of the game, and Company is a card that really helps you recover from that. Yeah, gets you back up. <clears throat> yeah. So, the, the this is... Uh, I'm not sold just yet, but after, you know, one in online PTQ one week, top eight's the open the next week, you know, this, is, this deck's in the back of my mind now, and... Uh, could definitely be a strong choice moving forward. I just haven't, you know, played enough with it or against it to uh, have a firm decision. Yeah, it's one of those decks that, like, it's always on my list. I'm like, that deck seems really good. I like it. I could only pull my, like, make myself pull the trigger on this if, like, I was sure that, they, like, it was going to be 40% inverter or, like, 30%, you know, just some ungodly number. But I do think this deck is really good. I do actually think this deck is good. And, like, you can, it's not like you can't win games that you're playing, you're not playing as Demir Inverter. Like, the, the clock this deck presents against some people is absurd. I mean, like, also, you, you do have four Scavenging Goose main where this is a card that, like, can do things and can interact early in the game. Like, I definitely seen people get in a situation where they have a Scavenging Goose up and some green mana, and it's like, you, you can't cast Inverter because you'll die. Like, I'll just exile your graveyard or exile the card that matters. Yeah. No, Scoos is definitely in a good spot right now. I think it, the decline in the number of wild slashes and shocks around, you know, it really helps it. You just cast it as a 2-2 more reliably. Uh, and it, the little bit of graveyard hate matters a lot. Because this is definitely a deck that on paper I would think does not match up well against Sultai Delirium. Because in addition to their pushes, they have Abrupt Decay, which does answer all of your threats efficiently. But Scavenging Ooze is a threat that they kind of have to answer, Right. Like, it's going to deal with Uro, it's going to deal with, uh, you know, a, a bunch of stuff. It's going to take you off Delirium for your Traverses uh, and just become a board-dominant threat. So uh, I wonder if Skuze is really important in that matchup. I think the non-creature spells are very, very important in that matchup, too. You need to draw a Club to Company in the Great Hinge. Like, you need to just create some kind of two-for-one 
Because yeah. if you try to one for one of that deck, not only are they going to get the better end of it with their cards being cheaper, like Abrupt Decay trading for a three drop, but like they have Uro, so they can fight you on the battlefield as well. Because yeah, it's great that you have all these huge threats for three mana, but you still are smaller than Uro in a lot of the spots. Like the only one that tangles with it is Rajing Regisaur and like, that's not a good trade for you. Yeah, no, Uro is definitely a problem. And it's a problem for every single aggressive deck. You know, the aggro decks did not perform well this weekend. Not a red, mono black spirits. And part of that is the continued presence of Sultai Delirium. You know, they just do not matter. Uro just eats aggro decks for breakfast. Just, just another spot where scavenging you seems to be very important and good. And like, I got to say this, you know, thinking about it and talking it out, Unless you have, like, nothing else to do and you're just, like, you need to be efficient with your mana, I got to think in that matchup, you might want to sandbag your Scavenger Goose until they, they cast Uro on, like, their turn three or whatever, and then you're like, all right, ooze, eat it, like, immediately, because it's so important. Like, you just can't beat that card. Like, it's okay if they kill your stuff, you just can never beat a 6-6 six, six that's, like, also a card advantage engine. So, yeah. yeah. I agree. You actually, like, even if you go long and keep Uro off the battlefield, like, when they Emrakul you, yeah. what happens? Like, you lose one creature... Yeah, like, <laughs> you, shrug. You, your deck doesn't really get Emrakul. It's it's all, it's literally creatures, the great hands you collect a company. You want to cast another one? I'm going through it. The worst thing that could happen is you discard your best card in your hand to your Rajin Regisaur, and then you lose your Regisaur. Because, like, you know, most decks, like, when you get Emrakul, you're like, six bad things are about to happen to you. They're going to, like, use a removal spell on your own thing. You're going to, like, sack a fetch land and find there's nothing here. Like, there's just, there's just no way to get itself. They're going to pump their own creature with Ronus so they can make it a trade. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, yeah. So, uh, you know, as long as you can keep Uro off the battlefield, that, that matchup isn't as bad as it feels like. But Uro is definitely a, a huge problem. Yeah, I think I think Jace can present some problems in the second game, too. You know, a flipped Jace into, like, uh, either making your creature smaller or into, like, buying back a removal spell can be a thing. You know, they go, like, Thoughtseize, Jace, kill your thing, flip my Jace, kill your thing. Like, that's... But I mean, you're, you're looking at some of the higher end draws from their deck as well. So one of those things, um, the deck that we're going to talk about next, I know you're excited to talk about this one. It's probably like, quote unquote, the breakout deck this weekend, if we had to vote on one. But it's a deck we've seen a lot online, right? And we've seen a little bit in paper, but two copies of this deck making it into the top eight and another one in 10th. This is a very good showing for Mono White Devotion. And then third and fourth place in the challenge as well on, on MTGO. This is a deck that, I, not only do I think is actually good, it's one of those decks that like there's always that deck that's like it's a really good choice for the for the metagame, right? The deck's good, it's powerful, but it does not get the respect it re deserves, and it kind of surprises people. Oh, I I did not respect this deck going into the tournament. Also, like so, if if the red deck's not popular, because I heard that this doesn't have like a super great red matchup, because believe it or not, the red deck can actually just run this over, because, like, their wild slashes and their and their burn spells are actually, like, good at removing creatures, and you're getting attacked for, like, three or four every turn by, you know, um... That makes sense. Yeah, by one of their prowess creatures or whatever, and you it's hard for you to combo, because you can never really combo through their removal, but having that combo against all these other decks, you just have this thing that can kill out of nowhere. Yeah, no, and I think that that is actually very important in terms of, you know sort of uh, stealing inevitability back from Demir Inverter. Because Inverter says, like, I, as long as we go long, like, you're the one who has to end the game. Because if we go long enough, I will eventually set up a combo, and, and you're going to lose. But they can do the same thing. So now the Inverter deck has to be, you know, a little bit worried. Well, like, should I try to go for it maybe a little sooner than I thought? Or should do I need to remove this, you know, some threat that I might otherwise not remove? 
because I need to stop the combo, and then you don't have you know the an answer for Gideon of the Trials, for example. Um, so the, the, it puts the same questions that the inverter deck puts on its opponents on it, flips the script. So that that adding that to a that angle of attack to an aggressive strategy, uh, you know, helps a lot there. But from what I are given to understand, and this is straight from Yama Killer, who tweeted about the deck um, the other day. He's apparently been playing it a lot. He's been playing it a lot online, yes. Yeah, and he says that the uh, the deck is you know has a close matchup against Inverter, which is a, all you can ask for. Yeah, that's good um, enough. Yeah, and is horrible against Breach, but Breach didn't show up this weekend, so like your big predator is gone, and incredible against Sultai Delirium. Um. So this makes it a really good choice for this weekend, like, yeah. honestly. So that you know the fact that Sultai showed up more than it in, you would expect, and Breach probably showed up less than most people would have expected, were were both good developments for Mono White. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, th I look at it, and Tomic does do a little cute thing to kind of like slow down Breach, but I don't know if your clock's fast enough. If you're not, if it slows them down enough that you can combo them, maybe that's cool enough. But like, I see where. Your cards just don't interact very well. And, and it's not like this deck is like mono red or mono black that is really killing you on turn four with the aggro plan. Like it is a slower aggro plan than the other aggro decks, but not by a ton. You know, you kill turn five, turn six with a good aggressive draw and a good curve, but you do it with a little bit of disruption. You've got that Tomic, you've got maybe Rest in Peace as uh, Yamakiller's list plays. You have Gideon of the Trials, which can, you know, be a thorn in their side at least for a little while, long enough to kill them. But overall, like you just don't have a good enough clock there. Uh, unless you just have a quick combo hand. And the Heliod Walking Ballistic combo is hard to execute early. Because you, in order to kill them on turn four, you need the Idyllic Grange um, to it's add the It's something you can do. At least it does have that thing that it can do against Breach. It is possible, sorry. Yeah, no, it is. And turn five is like pretty reasonable. If you just play 2-2 two, two Ballist on four, Heliod, at, give it lifelink on five. You know, especially if you had, you know, turn play some creature on turn one or two, turn three, get into the Trials, now I'm like beating you down that you have to worry about and you need to deal with the Gideon. Turn four, walking ballist on two, doesn't seem that threatening, but you might have to kill that instead of the Gideon or you're going to die. And what if I don't have the Heliod and you killed the walking ballista to prevent against the combo? Now you still need to find some other answer to Gideon of the Trials, which, you know, a deck like Breach, which is limited on its answers, especially in game one, is not going to have the ability, you know, the luxury of playing around the combo. You're going to have to deal with the Gideon and just hope for a turn that they don't have the Heliod. And that was, in fact, you know, one of the games I I lost one game in this matchup. In I only played the matchup once, but I lost game one when they just had a turn five combo with Heliod, uh, and that was enough to get me. So uh, definitely an underrated deck, I would say. Uh, I'm still not super sold on it, though. The one thing I really wanted to point out is uh, Jameson Purdue's seventh place list from the Open. He's playing fewer copies of Arcanist Owl, which I like because I think that card sucks, and he's playing three copies of Benelish Marshall. So basically, he's saying. Uh, like I've under, I know that the combo isn't great, so I'm going to take a little bit away from the combo plan and add to the aggro plan, and I think that's a great exchange to make. Also, I'm a big fan of the fact that it turns on Heliod uh, quickly as well. It's like another creature that turns on Heliod. I know Ar Arcanist Owl does that too, but like you have to also make your fourth land drop, and you know that which produces white. Like I guess you know there's not Nick those draws that don't actually get you there if you have enough devotion, but. Um, I do like playing another creature in the slot. If you're going to cut Owl, that has a lot of pips of white. They always call it, like, how many pips do you have, you know, whatever and stuff. So, and like you said, like, I mean, there's some matchups where, like, you just need to go one drop, two drop, three drop, and, like, that that's the three drop you want if Gideon's not good. You want to be able to, like, 
pump your entire team. Yeah, there's a huge difference between beating down with a bunch of two power creatures and doing it with a bunch of three power creatures. Um, I will say this: it does like possibly if if Village Marshal doesn't do enough in increasing the clocks where it needs to happen, and it's not good enough in the inverter matchup. I wonder if it's a card that could be cut in the future because. This also might have been a concession to him playing around Wild Slash as much as possible in his deck, like making his two toughness creatures relevant in game one. And that card just doesn't exist in the metagame right now. There's like just no shock effects, really. Um, yeah, my, your red decks are, are just not really around. Right. So like maybe that's something that could possibly be changed in the future. But I do think you need to play something in there that has a lot of white symbols because you need to also be attacking with Heliod if you can, because that's also one of your better aggro draws. You're like, creature, creature, Heliod, like, attack you for, like, nine. You know, like, attack you for a bunch on the turns where, you know, you get to untap in turn four. Because, like you said, you need to present a clock as quick as possible in, in these matchups. And your deck is not as good as the other monocolored aggro decks at doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, you definitely need to enable your devotion, get your Nykthos counts up. Uh, and Owl certainly does that. But l just look at how many artifacts or enchantments are in this deck for that trigger. There's 14 I'm like, unless I miscounted. There's a ton on the sideboard, too. I mean, you're looking at Stasis Snare, like, rest in peace in the matchups where it's relevant. Um, you're looking at Elspeth Conquers Death. Huge, huge fan of this card, by the way. More Baffling Ends, more Damping Spheres. So, Damping Spheres. Da damping Spheres. There's more of those, so. Bueller. Bueller. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I said it right. I was talking really fast and stuff. And The fifth place list is playing four Owls. They have 16 hits in game one because they're up to four Baffling End. But that means they have to play four copies of Baffling End, which I do not want to do in this metagame. So there's a, some concession to putting Owl in your deck, and I don't think the card is powerful enough to warrant it, nor do I think the combo of Heliod and Walking Ballista is powerful enough to warrant playing a card like that that generally is there to dig for the combo. So I'm just completely off Owl. I love uh, the replacement of Benelish Marshall. I think moving the deck in that direction so it's a little bit more aggro is the way to do it. You know, Benelish Marshall also makes it easier to combo. Like, you only need one counter on Ballista then. Right? It's really funny because the fifth place list also has four Grange while the other one doesn't. So they're they're trying to combo, like, that much harder. And, you know, I think about it, like, one of the cool things when I look at these decks, their Planeswalker suite was a little bit different, too. Like, there's one Gideon Blackblade and one, and there's two, um, what is it, Avenger, the, the four-mana one that was really broken. Allies of Zendikar. Allies, I said Avenger of Zendikar. Allies of Zendikar. Um, there's that difference, but... You know, you were talking about how much you hated the removal spells and Baffling In and Stasis Snare and how they're, like, not great. The more I think about it, you get some little extra coolness out of it and extra points against Inverter because if you kill Thassa's Oracle, it doesn't actually go to the graveyard. So they can't just Inverter it. And that's, like, not a, a zero thing. Yeah. And Baffling In is also very good against Uro, right? It yeah. doesn't go to the graveyard for them to escape it. If they kill the Baffling End, they only get a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah, they don't get the Uro so back. The, in these in are those two places, Baffling End is good, but like, it's not a very good card. I don't oh, want to play four of sure. them. No, for sure. 100%. Like, but you're Mono White, man. You, you got you to gotta make some concessions somewhere and, and play some white cards. So. Yeah, I'm in for that, but we don't have to make the concession of playing Arcanist Owl in our deck. So I guess I, it can find more Owls, too. So I guess we're at, we're at 19 in the other list. forgot Owls in Artifact itself. So we're at 19 versus 15 in the, because you got to subtract the other owl. Yeah, I'm just That's glad that there's a white deck in the format finally. <laughs> you know, like this yes. wasn't a thing. And the one, other thing, yeah, the one other thing I wanted to say about these results. So if you look at pretty much the top like 30 decks, it's it's pretty much exactly what you what you expect. There's like a spirit deck or two in there. There's like a random mono black deck, Boros Heroic. 
did did well at one point. But uh, there's another deck that I wanted to talk about for a couple seconds that I thought more people would play it. I haven't played with it yet to understand a lot of stuff, but like I just thought more Saram Auras would show up. They're calling it Orzov Auras. You know, it did top 30. This is the thing they got 28th. And it's a deck that I'm super interested in. I, it looks cool. It looks good. Um, maybe more people should play it. Maybe it's not actually that good. I don't know. But I'm super interested in this deck. I think it's really cool. I do hate Boggles in Modern. And for some reason, like this deck. So I don't know what's wrong with me. It's like I hate Jund in Modern, but like Sultan Delirium. Maybe I'm just off. This deck isn't quite like Bogles, right? Like, Bogles is just shutting you down from interacting. You can interact with their creature here, but all mm-hmm. of their cards just play through that effectively. You know, Hateful Idol yeah. redraws the cards, uh, Sram generated card advantage, then Sentinel's Eyes and Grisboon come back from the graveyard, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think just having those built-in, like, res- that built-in resistance as opposed to just shutting it down is a qualitative difference. So mm-hmm. there's not a real contradiction in liking one and hating the other. Um, and, and I agree. I think this deck is underrated. Definitely a deck I want to look into. I especially like the innovation of Dryad Militant uh, in the one-drop slot. Really good right now. Did you see the other innovation that happened this weekend that I think is really cool in this deck? These these main deck Apostles? Well, that's actually pretty cool. So he has main deck Apostle Purifying Light, just a pro-black creature that also exiles cards from Graveyard, which is really relevant and good. Everybody's playing Push, nobody's playing Wild Slash. I think it's very good. But here's the thing. You know you always talk about that all the glitters and Ethereal Armor are like the most important auras in this deck because like they give you an actual real threat. Yeah. You, get, you get to play two more copies. Uh, yeah. Helm of the Gods is a, an artifact for one mana. It says equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each equipment you control. So, yeah, it's not like it's is as big as the other ones, but oh wait, it's uh, each enchantment you control. I'm sorry. Each equipment is like, equipment is bad, but each enchantment you control. So it's just another all that glitters yeah. type effect that can be moved around, which is and you, nice. And you do still canter off a SRAM with it. SRAM yep. canters off equipment, so... Yeah, I, no, this list looks really clean to me. I think they basically trimmed a Cartouche and a Sentinel's Eyes for those two Helms, which are two of the weaker enchantments in the deck. You know, Sentinel's Eyes comes back. You don't need a million of them. Um, and then they're playing Apostle over Ephemia. So their enchantment count is down a little bit, but they're getting a little bit more of that Bogle's feel. You know, basically, like Sultan Delirium and Inverter can't really deal with Apostle Purifying Light. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I... I'm trying to think of a way they could actually kill it. I don't... They could block it with, like... Some have, like, a Corsair of Crufix. And I guess they could block it with, uh... What's it called? Seder Wayfinder, and that's kind of embarrassing. But you just put some stuff... You put some pants on it. And we yeah, got down. you're good. But th- this was a common sideboard card in the deck. And now that, you know, they made the decision... Uh, Victor Kurz to move it into the main deck. You got some good disruption in the board. Thoughtseize Brain Maggot, which is just another enchantment creature. Gideon of the Trials on, you know, obviously good. They're even playing a Hushwing Griff... Uh, which, you know, maybe you can get people and a couple of thought seasons. So you get to be a disruptive, aggressive deck post-board. Uh, I like that you have so many lifelink creatures in the aggressive matchups, so you don't need to find a spirit link. You just need an Elseid or a Hateful Once that gets big, like, the aggro matchups get real easy. So uh, I agree, this is an underrated deck. So the cool thing we talked about is, like, we found a lot of ways that there's a lot of decks that you could play in this format. You don't just have to play one of the best. You don't just have to play Inverter. And we found some ways that are, like, you know, some decks that are pretty good against it. So maybe the metagame's going to shape out a little bit better in the weeks to come. And Inverter won't be, like, the slam dunk best deck, because it is. But, you know, and people have had the, people have had their tinfoil hats on a lot lately on Twitter about, like, what's going to get banned or whatever. And I know for a fact the one thing that should be banned to help stop Inverter, if you want to know. I know for a pure fact what it is. Is it Dig Through Time? No, it's Pete Ingram. 
<laughs> you stay away from the current Team BCW members. I don't know if you're trying to angle your way back on the team mid-season here. What but... do you mean, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, huge shout-out to BCW member Pete Younger for winning this tournament. So, um, funny story. So, he played this deck in the team event that they won. It was like him, Eli Cassis, and uh, Shaheen Shirani, right? No, it was Corey. Corey. Sorry, and Corey. My bad. Sorry, Shaheen. I'm sorry. My bad. But yeah, You um, should have known that Shaheen wasn't going to win. Yeah, so, but the funny part is, is like, in day one, I think he went five and four. He went four and five? Four and five, and he's like, yeah, this duck sucks, maybe it's not that good, or whatever, and then he just hasn't lost since. Like, he just like, you know, didn't lose. He won the second day of that tournament, and then the team won, and then he top-aided the Pro Tour, and now he won an Open. And now he won an Open with it, and like, I watched a lot of the coverage this weekend, and he was on coverage a lot, because he was like the last undefeated, you know, two people nine-owed. Uh, shout out to Ben Weinberg as well. Also, nine node uh, name that hasn't been super synonymous with competitive magic lately. You know, he doesn't he doesn't show up in travel as much as he does. But like, he's got a really good resume too. And he he lost he lost twice. He lost to Pete Ingram uh, at the nine o, and then he lost to Pete Ingram. I think he lost one other time in the Swiss, but he also lost to him in the finals. Is whatever. So I know that feel, Mister Weinberg. I know that feel. It sucks, but um. And speaking of cool things that we that we like. There was a uh, Pioneer Challenge online this weekend, and the first place deck, would you, would you qualify it as dope shit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because this is a quote-unquote, it's it's an oldie but a goodie, but it's different because, you know, you don't have the banned cards in here anymore. So I remember there was a point in time in Pioneer before Oko got banned where, like, the blue-green deck was the best deck in Pioneer for, like, a week, right? And this is that deck, just, like, without, without Oko. Uh, this winning deck, it... I guess we'll call it like, uh, you know, Simic Aggro. Simic Eldrazi. Yeah, Simic Eldrazi, I think is a better way to put it. I was kind of burying the lead there, Ross. I didn't want to... All right, but uh, I'm kind of reading off a couple of the cards here. So you're going to see three Vivian Arcbow Rangers, four Brazen Borrowers. So we've got a little bit of interaction here with also a creature. The eight Elves, uh, four Lovestrike Beasts, because that card is just great. Uh, there's going to be two Scavenging Gooses, but then we get into the cool creatures. Four Reality Smasher, four Thought Not Seer. Ross, I know you hate these cards. I love them. <laughs> I think Thought Knights here is a good card. I've been very low on Reality Smasher and Pioneer, but right now I actually think it's pretty good. Granted, there's still Uro and Inverter around, but this deck is pretty good at preventing early Inverters. You know, it has a couple Scavenging Uses to keep the Graveyard down, and then has three copies of Ipnu Rivulet in its mana base, because you need some number of colorless lands. So these Deserts are good anyway if you're a mana base, and Rivulet is a card that people are main decking a lot now. You see one generally in Solta Delirium, uh, that they can traverse for. We were playing one to Sylvan Scrying for in Breach, just to, you know, in case people get frisky and try to jam that turn four inverter, you know, you can punish I've, them. I've seen one in the inverter list sometimes as well. Yeah. And then not to mention uh, Vivian Arcbow Ranger and Brazen Borrow help you out in those in those spots too. You can like bounce the inverter back to their hand and attack for a bunch, or, you know, you can make your creature really big and get over it or make the creature big enough and fight. There's a, There's a couple different options that you could possibly do here. Yeah, um, and this is sort of, you know, this is attacking the deck on a similar axis to the Golgari aggro deck, but it's being a little bit more disruptive with Petty Theft and Stubborn Denial in the main deck, and we get to play Mystical Dispute, which is like the best sideboard card in the format. Uh, This deck is very obviously gunning for spirits in its sideboard with four copies of Dispute and four Crawl Harpooners. So uh, I don't know if you have to go that hard. Maybe Spirits is just a bad matchup. Um, I I can imagine Nebelgast Herald being a very difficult card for this deck to beat. 
Yeah. Uh, I'll say that. that. I was thinking about it too. I was like, I don't know if this is that bad. And then you said Nebulgazer. I was like, oh, that's the one. Yeah. (laughs) That card's unbeatable. Uh, We also got Thought Knots here for disruption. So I actually, I like this deck on paper more than the Golgari deck. The mana base is worse. Can you, can you imagine playing against this with Breach where they get like a threatened play, right? And then they have Thought Knot Seer, Mystical Dispute, Stubborn Denial as four ofs. To, to back that up, I'm I'm I don't want to be the breach yeah. player. They and they have scavenging news, and they can yeah. you know they can interrupt a breach turn with a petty theft. Oh yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't get rid of the problem, but it might just buy them another turn to kill you or to untap and have more counter spells or, or what have you. Um, so th- there's a lot going on in this deck, and you know the the mana I think works. I think that you're going to put good pressure on people, and uh, I'm not entirely sold on the heart appearance. Because you don't Same. have a ton of ways to crew it, so that that's the although Vivian does help there. So I'm, I'm, that's the card that kind of st- sticks out to me is like maybe isn't worth it, but the rest of the deck looks sweet. I think this is a and Oaf McNamara is you know a, a well known handle on Magic Online. Um, I don't know if they have if, is their IRL identity known or are they just Superman? Uh, I th- I think it's it's a known enough. They post a decent bit, so sure. So, you know, clearly they, they've put some work in, and I, I like a lot of what's going on here. This is definitely a deck that I would try. Love me some Brazen Borrower. And speaking of other dope shit and decks you try, uh, the fifth place list was actually really cool, too. And this is going to this is gonna lead into something else, a cool announcement that we have for this show in just a minute that we're going to get to. So just to wet your whistle a little bit, get you a little excited. But we're going to talk about that in just a minute, because we're talking about this fifth place list where it's, I, I guess you would just call this Mono Green Devotion, but oh, yeah. with a twist. It's got a, got a little Karn package, you know? Yeah. We already had some targets for Vivian Arcbar Ranger to, you know, get out of the sideboard. Now we got Karn. So the sideboard is actually just 15 singletons, and you don't sideboard between games. You just present the same 60 every matchup. I love it. Yeah, and there's some sweet ones in here. Uh, I'm going to read off the sideboard because they're all gettable by your... by your. They're all, like, you can, we can wish for all of these with your with your Planeswalkers. We're looking at a Damping Sphere, an Immercool, Nyx Lotus, Questing Beast, uh, Satessan Petitioner, is that, what, is that what it is? Yeah. Great Hinge, Ulamog, Walking Ballista, Darksteel Citadel, so you can go find a land. Yeah. God Pharaoh Statue, that, that's a sweet one as well against, like, Breach and stuff. Uh, Pithing Needle, Scavenging Ooze, uh, The Boat, Sky, Sky, Seven, Sky Sovereign, Council Flagship, a Tomalt Script, and just when we need to kill him a little bit more, a Green Gear Hulk. So, uh, love seeing this sideboard. Um, there's some sweet stuff going on the list, too, that's kind of cool. There's, like, Castle Garenbrig and Nykthos, but you're looking at a different way to ramp in this list, because you're looking at Wolf Willow Haven, which is kind of cool. This, this is, like, a rampant growth. Like, you don't go get another land, but it's a two-mana spell that's going to give you that extra mana the next turn, which has led to them playing Voyaging Seder, a card that we haven't really seen in a while. There's only two of them in this list, and Voyaging Seder is a 1-2 for 1 and a green, but has an ability that says you can tap this and untap target land. Um, I owe this card a lot of money. Uh, we broke this card with Green Red Devotion for like my very first top 8 ever in an SCG event, and I was untapping a lot of Nykthos. Nyk- Nykthi? Nyk- Nykthoses? Nykthoses. I think it's just Nykthos. I think it's like I think it's like Elk. Look at all those I mean, Nykthos. I mean, it is legendary, so there's never going to be multiples, right? No, but there could be two on the battlefield. You could have one, and I could have one, and be like, "Look at all these Nykthos. They sure. are everywhere. They are plentiful." Or look at all. Or when you show your hand that you drew all four, and how unlucky you are, because that's that's how Ross operates. He'd be like, "Look <laughs> at all these Nykthos that I drew." So yeah, no, it makes sense when you have this wish package because like, you're going to need a lot of mana to both wish for a big spell and then cast it. 
And so this deck is really trying to go way over the top. Voyage Exator helps there. Wolf Haven that you mentioned. You know, not only this is, is this a rampant growth, it's a rampant growth that provides a, a point of devotion for Nykthos. And it's a rampant growth that you can put on a land and then untap with Nyssa. So your Nyssa's generate even more mana. Your Nykthos has generated even more mana uh, while still being a reasonable ramp spell on its own. It's something you can cast off of Burning Tree Emissary, so you're not going to lose any tempo that way. Uh, you know, Ooh, that's actually kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, it's a well, it's a well, Voyaging Sater is the same way, but it's a well put together deck. Um, you know, this could be the return of Green Devotion. You know, the, is Karn the card that like, you know, puts it back on the map? I'm sure Ty Anderson will find out. I think he's already streaming it. I think, I think he was doing it the other day. Also, this gives you um, eight Planeswalkers to play on turn three. If you have like the, the, the Haven draw or any of the quick draws with your elves, because you are still playing a lot of elves, let's be real, your green deck. Remember when people wanted to, to ban these? Yeah, and, and you don't even have to go elf and elf. Now you can go elf into Seder or elf into Haven. That'll get you to Nyssa for sure. So for all the people who uh, bought into Mono Green Devotion early in the format and kind of got screwed by the first couple bannings, uh, rest in peace, uh, some of those cards. But he, you know what? Here, here's your deck. And it's not like these cards are super expensive that you're replacing with. Like Karn is still a reasonable priced magic card. It actually went down a little bit. It's under $10 a piece, if I remember right, the last time I checked. I can't remember. And then Wolf Willow Haven is not an expensive magic card. Some of these sideboard cards, like Ulamog's not cheap, you know, uh, Emrakul's not cheap, but you only need one. And the, the rest of your deck is, like, not that expensive besides, like, Nykthos. Yeah. You know, no. like, I mean, some of these Planeswalkers, they're not super cheap, but you might have already had these if you were Monogreen Devotion. Exactly. So Or Scales. No. Definitely a deck to to look out for, and like this is another you know well known player. This is Stanerson, who I believe is Tommy Ashton, who top aided Pro Tour or Player Store Phoenix with uh, with Vance Spirits, and is a you know t Tommy is one of those people that people the grinders all know and respect, but the greater public might not know because he doesn't have a huge you know following, you know doesn't doesn't make content as far as I know, just quietly wins like every Moto PTQ. Yeah, he's the unknown sicko. Like yeah, if if if, if you and I were like at a tournament. And I was like, hey, how'd your round go? And you're like, I lost to Tommy Ash. And I'd be like, yeah, of course. Like, the guy's un unbelievably good. If you said that, like, randomly to, like, Twitch chat, like, while doing versus live, they'd be like, who? You know, and you'd be like, yeah, this guy's, like, very, 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 yeah. very, 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 very good. For many years, that person was Dave Shields for me. And yeah. then, uh, now, now Dave doesn't really play anymore. I'll occasionally see him at a team open, like, once a year. Yeah, it's like, I, I was at a store the other day, and I mentioned, like, I mentioned Alan Wu. Somebody they're like, who? And I'm like, he's probably the best player in the world right now. Anyway, sorry, continue. Sure. So yeah, the the, the secret sickos. So, you know, Dem I'm sure has his stamp of approval at this point, you know, uh, with a good finish here. But I will say that the reason that I knew about this deck was, and I don't know if he originated it, but I saw on his Twitter, it was Aspiring Spike, who is a known streamer. And we bring that up because we are going to be having Aspiring Spike as a guest on the podcast next week. Yeah, I know he does a lot of work on Pioneer, so uh, he's been itching to you know to get a chance to talk all about it in a in a, in a different venue, and we are happy to have him on. Yeah, I am super excited. So, um, if I'm ever home or I'm working from home during the day, this is my go-to watch on Twitch. I, I, if if you guys are on Versus Live, I'll also have that on. You know, I have, I have yeah. two monitors for a reason. But well, he's definitely on my list of like people to watch. You know, it's like Jim Davis, Todd Anderson, Ryan Overturf, and then he's like number four. Yeah, he's quietly and quickly moving up to number one on my list. Like, I love those other guys because, like, you know, I know them very well personally. Um, yeah, he and I actually have a lot of uh, friends in common because he's from, like, the, the Texas area. And I spent a year in Texas and Dallas and, like, learning a lot of, you know, uh, meeting all of the local players there. But 
I'm, I'm super excited to hear like his mind frame when it comes into this format because not only has he had success in this format, but he's done it with not just playing the good decks. You know, he's been an originator on a lot of decks or someone who puts in a lot, like, or he gets the credit because he's put in a lot of the work. Like, do you remember the Sultai Reclamation deck that was like all the craze for a yeah. little while that had like Scarab God? That's like 100% him. Um, he's got a mono red devotion list that's actually been doing pretty damn well. I've, I've like, seen him stream with that one with, with the ley line that like it does extra damage when they target your stuff. And I, I, I meant to fact check this, but I can't remember it. So he finally made uh, not partner, but uh, what's the what's the affiliate? The uh, yeah, he, no, 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 partner. That's it. He's not affiliate anymore. The, the, the better one on Twitch. He finally made Part, partner. partner you get, is, yeah. yeah. So he finally made partner on Twitch the other day, which congratulations. That's, that's a big deal for a streamer. Um, so as a celebration, and I remember I tried to check this out as much as I could, but I was at work and I need to go back and watch the VOD. He streamed himself playing mono green Tron and modern, but covered up his opponent's side of the board and just played that way. And he might have trophied. Like he might have 5 0'd. I know he was close. They were like, people were talking about it. He was just winning, but he literally just played Tron without being able to see anything. Wait, what? Yeah, he just played Tron. If he like had a Karn and had to minus Karn, he would just click until it hit something. But he just played mono green Tron without seeing any cards. Like, like you know the joke? I don't know if you heard about this back in the day, but like there was a, a very famous poker player. She filmed herself winning a tournament without seeing her cards once. Just to prove like the power of like she made it as an exercise. She was going to prove that like how well you could do without seeing your cards. And then she just won the tournament, you know, which is like, oh, this is, you know, it's like when the, the golfers are doing videos on, like how to show you how to do something and they like drain like a, a hundred yard shot. And they're like, well, that's not what I was trying to do, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it just worked out. And yeah, so he just played where he, um, you know, like the hand hider people have when they're streaming like top eights, they'll, they'll hide their hand. He yeah. did that to his opponent's board on Magical Online. So he just could not see their stuff. And so he just played blind, and I, I'm sure there's people at home or that are listening to this that know what his final record was. And I should I meant to fact check this at a long day, but I know he did well. I know he's winning games. He was like two or three zero when I when I joined in. Well, that is fucking awesome. That is dope shit. Yeah, that is really right. really cool. That is the definition of dope shit. And yeah, and so he's one of the people that I'm a big fan of because he seems to have what it takes to be good at like if you want to be a good deck builder or to figure things out. There's one skill that you need to have that. A lot of people don't know about it. It's like the willingness to be wrong. And do you know what I mean by that? Like you have to be willing to take risk. You have to be willing to try stuff out, even if other people tell you it's bad or it's not good, et cetera, et cetera. And Aspiring Spike has that. He, he has that in spades. Like he's willing to try things out. Cause I've seen him try some decks. I'm like, man, this deck was truly awful. Or I've seen some decks that did not look good on paper and he just could not lose with them. And stuff. So I'm extremely, yeah, I'm extremely excited to have him on the show next week. Uh, I'm going to try to not to fangirl too much or fanboy <laughs> too much. So we'll have to we'll have to see. But I'm I'm really looking forward to it. If you can't tell, I got no. Jazzed. It's, it's going to be a great episode, uh, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of interesting insights because he's he has probably played a much wider you know range for sure range yeah than uh, either of us has. So he'll have a great great perspective on things yeah because like he doesn't just adhere himself to like the competitive side and you and i definitely shy way more to the competitive side of you know we'll, we'll play just what is quote unquote the good decks we're trying to win tournaments you know you're trying to win opens like i have an event this weekend we're trying to figure out what to play in pioneer because we can't find copies of the card inverter in time <laughs> like just no one has that damn card that that isn't playing it so we might end up playing mono white i don't know we'll figure it out um, I'm playing some pile in Legacy, and Basoko is playing some broken thing in in Modern. He's playing uh, some Urza deck, most likely. So we'll see. And is it the Urza Breach deck? 
Uh, I don't know if he has time to learn that one because because <laughs> here's the thing: I should definitely be playing Breach in Legacy. I don't know if you've seen or heard what that is doing, but that oh, deck yeah. is fucked well, up. Brain freeze LED. <laughs> yeah, it is. Have you seen the Delver versions too? Like the Delver version. I just saw the article about the Delver version. Yeah, that, that one's weird. Is messed up. I do not have like I read the article and my I went cross-eyed and my brain hurt. So I was like I. <laughs> I'm just gonna because because here's the thing I don't know if anybody's gonna really innovate in the in the legacy seat because I think we're gonna have like seven or eight teams show up which is a lot for like an LGS you know we're not a giant LGS sure. or whatever and it's like well I'm just gonna try to outplay people and, and play well in, in the legacy format but I also shy away from Delver decks when I play in these so I'm like kind of like trying to figure out what I'm gonna play like my buddy's like I'll give you sneak and show if you want it and I'm like I don't know if I want to play that one play breach do I, it but do I, it I, no do I, it. I don't want to feel that Do dumb, it. Ross. Ross, I don't want to feel that dumb. It's going to feel really dumb. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably going to play Snoko. Is what I'm probably going to play, but breach. You're just going to send me texts for the next couple days with the word breach on it, aren't you? Yes. You know what's really bad? I just gave you that idea, and I don't know why I said that out loud. Thank you. <laughs> All right, rip headphone users. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been destroying them this show. <laughs> yeah, because you got like really excited, like sat up and really talked into your mic, and you're usually like more relaxed than I am. Because I get like I get right up into my mic when I'm doing the show. So no, you're 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 getting me amped with all this talk about cool combo decks and different formats. Yeah. And so I'm I'm just excited because like here's the thing: if you look at the results from this weekend, right? Overall. It, it, it's kind of sad. Like that's a lot of inverter and inverter's doing really, really well. And I don't want to have to ban anything. Like I, I want the format to shake out and see if it can p- compete, but like we're seeing other cool shit. Like, you know, that's start, that's starting. But, and, and do you know what this kind of feels like? It was a comparison that Ari Lax made in his article earlier this week that I really liked. It feels like the time in modern when Grixis death shadow was everywhere. And we we're like, are we going to have to ban death shadow or ban like, you know, straight wraith or something stupid like that. And, and, you know, it just took a little while for us to figure out how to attack it and for the metagame to balance out. Uh, and a lot of it was just figuring out how Fatal Push changed the landscape of modern uh, because it was, you know, it fundamentally altered the balance of power between the colors in terms of their access to cheap removal. Um, and, it, you know, Inverter is sort of doing the same thing because, like, we, we just haven't seen a deck with this kind of false tempo before. Uh, and trying to find the right balance of, you know, aggression and resilience to their their disruption. And then our ability to, you know, disrupt the combo is difficult. But people are doing it now. I think this Simic Eldrazi deck has that has a really good balance. You know, with the Ipnu Rivulets and the Scavenging Oozes. These are cards that can disrupt that fast combo and will, you know, put a wrench in their plans to some degree. But aren't, you know, costing you a ton. They're not, you're not co- spending your entire turn two and then a card rest in piecing them. You know, you're playing your land. You know, it might cost you a little life, make your mana base a little bit worse, but it's not going to completely, it's not going to ever cost you a full card. So those kinds of subtle changes, and then obviously the addition of Thought Not Seer and Stubborn Denial, which are just good cards, you know, makes a lot of sense for that deck. And it just takes a while for things like that to be innovated, especially in a format that is still this young. So, uh, and I kind of think of modern in terms of, you know, pre-Fatal Push, post-Fatal Push. I think it was that important, along with the bans that happened right around that time. Right, yeah. the the ban no. of, of probe and and reban of Golgari Grave Troll. It makes a lot of sense. It's actually really good. And to be, I was say to be fair, to be fair, but to be honest, um, I want to see a few more weeks. I want to see a few more tournaments and see if Inverter really is just like too much, or if it's just going to be like one of the better decks. And if that's okay to leave it there, 
And if that'll just be like, this format's really good deck with a couple other decks for, you know, a while. Because it's not bad for a format to have a couple really good decks. That's just the way it happens. Like, we've gotten into this... We've gotten into this rhetoric where, like, as soon as a deck is, is good and wins tournaments and does really well and lives up to hype, as soon as a deck has hype and lives up to it, they're like, ban it. Just ban it. Yeah. And it's like, instead of us fixing it or seeing how the format can shape around it, because Modern and Legacies have, have had, like, public and enemy number one for a long time. Like, if you look at, like, Legacy in the last seven years, like, overall, Delver has been the best deck, right? Just overall. And, like, every single deck that is good either has concessions to that deck or just beats that deck you know like there was a while there were like lands was the best thing to be doing in legacy because it beat delver then there was like uh the black green depths decks were there because it beat delver you know and then it was yeah. okay versus other stuff and the delver decks always in the long run reacted and figured yeah. out a way to beat those decks you know they started playing crop rotation against golgari depths and yeah. things like that and that's that's fun magic like you know what i mean like as long as nothing is just way out of line and yeah. yeah, you know, maybe dig through time needs to go because like the problem with having dig through time uh, legal in the format, this if you want to see, hear the other side of the argument is when they print stuff like breach and they print another card like that because they will when another card like that gets printed, like you just risk busting it again. Yeah. And they're never really going to print another card like dig through time. Right. Yeah, they like, may it's have the learned. Yeah. They may have learned on that one. So we'll see. Well, we say that we'll see. But uh, I will say, I think it's about time for some of those mailbag questions. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And we've got a bunch of them. Yeah, a good bit this week. I like it. Yeah. And it's a good mix, too. The, dis- the Discord's getting uh, it's getting big. We've got a it's lot getting, of people in there. It's getting rowdy. Yeah. Uh, real <laughs> quick, before we get into this, I don't know if you... Have you checked the food section recently? Um, not really. I was kind of uh, AFK a lot over the weekend. And yes. I'm just getting back in the swing of things. What, was there a particularly... There, there's a post. There's a great thing that happened. It not only is it good, but we got a new person who's going to be posting a lot in the food section. Who has also become a, a patron of the show. His name is Chef Petro, and he's a chef, like an actual chef. So like, he's posting like really cool, ridiculous stuff. Like he made uh, it was like pancakes with like raisins and some other stuff the other day. But uh, here it is. Hold on, because I said, what the hell is that? It's it's a rolled pancake with cream cream cheese icing in between. Uh, it's got some maple syrup, sugar, apple cider, uh, vinaigrette as, as the acid, fresh berries and raisins. But it also has like the presentation that you expect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like if you brought this on the show, he gets a 10 for plating. You know what I mean? Like not just 10 for tick. Cause this looks so good, you know? And stuff. And I was like, this guy's going to get me in big trouble. You know, just randomly post photos of whatever he's working with that day. And stuff. I'm like, Oh man. Like, Oh my God. Him and is, Yeoman 5, is, it would not be okay to talk about our food section. I'm talking about Yeoman. They have directly influenced what I've gotten for lunch multiple times. Like, there was a day the other day that I was just sitting there. It's like, you know, 9.30 or 10. I'm making some calls for work, going through some stuff. And Yeoman, I just, like, look at his thing, and he talked about, like, Indian food or something. I was like, I literally just called the Indian restaurant. I was like, hey, like, give me a, re- like, give me a reservation for one. I, I'm, I'm coming in there, you know. And I just made sure that I got this. But anyway, there were some mailbag questions. God, we tangent so much. Well, food tangents are, are just yeah, they're acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can't can't nothing we can do to play around that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we couldn't have played better. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I'll start with the first one to make sure we we get here. So first one comes from Friendly Fire Twenty One, and it is for Tannen. He asks Tannen, "You talked about Commander. What decks do you play?" So the two that I have built right now, I have a Torbrin deck, which is uh, I, what's the saying? Some men just like to watch the world burn. Yes, that is a saying. Yeah, that deck is trying to kill everybody as quickly as possible. I'm not trying to make any friends. To be okay, 
I need to say this real quick. Uh, when I play Commander, I am looking to have fun. I play with only certain people, but they also understand who I am. I do not do politics at the table, and I am trying to win. So I'm going to try to kill you. If you look like you're winning more than someone else, everything's coming at you. If you start with Soul Ring, I'm attacking your ass. Like, you know, we're not we're not making friends here. And so that deck is, it's like Torbrin and pretty much every way to either uh, enhance red damage, you know, like other forms of cards like Torbrin, or cards that like hurt everyone for something. You know, like Zozu the Punisher and like Eidolon of the Great Revel. You know, it's like, I literally just have to watch them every one of the turns like trigger... Trigger, trigger, <laughs> trigger, 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 trigger. And like, I always... Damage. You need to take some damage. Damage, yeah. damage, damage. Yeah, and so like, I I actually... It's funny, I'll sit down every time, and when I'm going to play this deck, I always pull out a piece of paper and start, you know, writing everybody's name on it. And they're like, guys, we'll keep our own life. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to make sure this one's right. Because <laughs> everyone's taking a lot of damage. How does Torbrin interact with the commander damage rule? Does the Do you get two for everything for commander damage? It makes the red source deal two more. So the source... So you, so you get nothing? Right. You don't... Which is fine because I don't care. Because I'm playing like Zozu and if like they want to play a land, they're taking four. I'm going to deal 40. And you know how many <laughs> fetch lands are in that format? So they're just, they're just taking like eight <laughs> for their fetch land and stuff. But uh, my other one is the one that I have more fun playing. This one's a little more like... Like it's less hateful in everyone, but still wins a lot. I'm very competitive. It's uh, Korvald. It's just a bunch of jund good stuff. Like it's just a bunch of good cards, and it's just all I did do you is. Just, did you just steal a deck from Brandon Decandio? Is that what happened? Yeah, it's pretty much what it is. It's just a whole bunch of like card advantage and every form of the card of like it's like um what's what's the ultimatum that kills three permanents? Violent ultimatum. Yeah, it's like violent ultimatum. Uh, what's the new casualty? Casualties of war. Decimate. Uh, there's like wind graces judgment or something like that. Like you know, every card that says like kill a permanent from every player or kill three permanents or kill five permanents. Yeah. I, I just want to kill everything. I don't care what types they have to be. Everybody's got all these weird types yeah. in commander. And I have every way to recast them. I have like, you know, eternal witness effects to get them back and stuff. And then I'm working on a Bant deck with uh Chulain as the commander. So I just want to play a bunch of creatures and I'll figure out how to win. <laughs> all right. it'll, okay. it'll, it'll happen. So, well, you were, those are Tannen's decks. You were really nice. I expected it to be made fun of a little bit or something. So, eh, I was trying to find a way to make fun of um, of the Corval deck and say, like, you stole it for Brennan. And then I realized that I would believe that you stole that deck from Brennan if I believed that Brennan owned a single Magic the Gathering card. But I don't. He owns really random stuff. Like, um, what's the, the Mythic Dragon? It's like Moon Glow Dragon or whatever from... You know what I'm talking about? The one that's like... If, I have no fucking clue, Tannen. It's like a mythic. It's like if someone targets it, like it targets all of your stuff or whatever. It was from like Eldritch Moon or something. But I just remember because, you know, me and Brennan were talking a lot then about magic and he was trying to spec on a card. And he was like, I want to spec on this or I think it was like Ishkana was the other one. He goes, I'm going to buy a bunch of the dragons. Or whatever. I was like, whoops. Because <laughs> they were both like super cheap. And yeah. so he just, he just has like a few hundred of them or something like that. He had a, a couple other cards like that. But overall, yeah, like... Little little known fact, um, every team event, Brennan would send me a list and I would just hand him the 75 at the tournament. I yes. would literally be, it'd be sleeved up and in a deck box ready to go. Usually about 10 of the cards came from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mostly <'cause> I, lands. <laughs> well, it's funny that either 10 of the cards or it depended on how many basics he needed of a certain <laughs> yeah. kind. Because sometimes I wouldn't have enough of the same art and you would, uh, you'd step up with your, what is it, Mirage? No. So, I mean, it just depends on what I have. I've got yeah. a lot of Mirage, a lot of Invasion, a lot portal. of Portal, a lot of Ice yeah. Age. Yeah, and I'm all the other sets, so... Yeah. A few masks lands. Yeah, it's Odyssey just because, like, you know, if he needs a certain amount of certain ones, I don't have that many beta of all the ones. You know, I only have so yeah. many beta lands, and I like to play with those. So, anyway. Okay. Next on the list from Joshua, 
I always find the hardest thing about deck building is making the mana base. What tips or methods do you use to put one together? Can I answer this one first? Because I, yeah. I have a really good tip. I'll tell them exactly what I do. Um, I just look at Ross and give him the look of like, yeah, you got this right. <laughs> I just um, have Ross math, just maths. Figure it out. It's not like I, I don't ever do like, you know, I'm not running fucking equations here to figure it out. And I'm like, Ross, I need 12.3 blue sources Ross, and 17.4 white sources. Ross, don't ruin the illusion for me. Like in yeah. my mind, you're a mad genius. You have like a, a spreadsheet and like you have like, I see you as like, what is it? Remember the old chalkboards that like they rotated so they had two sides <laughs> so you didn't yeah. have to clean it? I see you doing that with like the the gif with the dude from um It's Always Sunny, you know, the picture of him like Charlie. pointing yeah, pointing to the board of like you know, that's how I see you making mana bases and they're just there's just stuff everywhere. Yeah. Well, um you know, uh, I, for the baseline like how many sources do I need? I I use the Karsten article as a baseline. I think it's a good one. Um and I will like, you know, a lot of it just comes down to intuition that you build over time. Like I know, I if I use Karstens as a baseline, I'll think like, but my deck like really depends on certain cards, so I'll make sure like that man that mana airs up, and if there are some things that I think I can miss on for a little while, I'll air down. You know, in general, the things that you want to hit on curve are your threats, your creatures, and your removal spells aren't usually cast on curve unless you're like a control deck. Then you want to keep pace with the aggro decks. Then it, you know, then it's a little bit different. Um, so those kinds of factors play into it. Um, you know, generally in like standard, you're usually just playing the, you know, the, the dual lands that you have access to. But when you're, you know, playing in larger formats, then you got to figure out like exactly what dual lands do I need and what, you know, maybe what fetch lands do I need in modern and then what fetchables. Um, if, if it comes down to that, you know, I'm generally, I want to play like the minimum number of basics for either fetches or things like Traverse, Attune to the Ether, those kind of lay the land effects. I want to play a minimum number for the cards I have. So, you know, if I am if I have a double green card, I'll usually play two forests minimum. Uh, if I have a triple green card, I'll try to play three, you know, and that, this, these aren't hard and fast rules, but those are, are little things. And they're like, if I'm splashing blue and I just have like a couple single blue cards, then I'll only play the one, you know, the, the one island at, at that point. Um, so th those kinds of things come up. And then... You know, I, I want to jam as many of the utility lands as, you know, as much as I can get things like, um, you know, Mystic Sanctuary, the Horizon Cycle, like those kinds of, of things. I want as much as possible um, when it comes to like Pioneer and you have to figure out like how many temples can I afford to play or do I want to play? I'm usually erring on the low side because the format's pretty fast, but now the format's slowing down a little bit. Um, you do still want to interact early, but I think with fewer aggro decks around, you can afford to get a little bit more value out of your mana base and not um, be as focused on just curving out. So, you know, th there are metagame considerations to these things as well. So it, this is a really hard question to answer in like, you know, a small time frame. There's just so many different variables and you really just have to become accustomed to them and build your intuition over time. So that's not a really satisfying answer. Um, but hopefully like some of the things that I just brought up are things that maybe you didn't, you know, consciously consider before. Um, but those are, you know, a few of the questions that I ask myself when I'm building a mana base. 
And uh, we'll try to, I'll try to remember to get Ross to uh, find that article when we're done so we can try to link that in the show notes. So anybody wants to see that Carson article to see what he's talking about, it's definitely a good one. If you're yeah. worried about making manabases, you it's could. It's just some simple hypergeometric distribution, you know, calculations. See, it's I heard you say the word simple and then I didn't understand a goddamn word after that. I'm not asking you to derive it. You can literally Google hypergeometric distribution calculator and plug in the numbers. That's assuming I know how to spell it, Ross. It's also assuming you know how to plug in the numbers and you know what the terms mean, which you probably don't. But or, or assuming that I know how to Google anything. <laughs> okay, that I would hope you know how to do. It's 2020. Uh, by the way, that was one of my favorite things. I know this is a blast from the past. I worked at Best Buy for a few years, right? And I worked in the home theater department. And you get some of the best calls or the best people walking up, like asking you why their stuff doesn't work. And they never understood the thing that like, hey, I sell the televisions. I don't fix them. But one, yeah. of, one of my favorites is um, you would tell somebody how to do something, right? Or like what to do. You'd be like, hey, like just do this. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, well, hey, if you Google it, you can like find a, a thing that'll like show you how to do it step by step. And my favorite is if they're like 65 or older, they're like, I don't do the Googles. Or whatever. It's like the way they the way they would say it is just oh my god I, I love it I missed it yes all right so for the next one um it uh, he always asks a lot of questions and I'm not sure how to pronounce this uh it's I'm Rahil uh, I remember sure. I gotta ask him how to do this uh, three two seven do you have any suggestions on how to approach a metagame where the top tier is comprised mostly or completely of decks that aren't comfortable that you aren't comfortable with example. Here's the current metagame where Inverter and Breach are the two top dogs, and my brain isn't wired for combo. Is it is it better to play a very powerful deck at a medium skill level, or drop down to the next tier, but be more comfortable? And how does this answer change based on the disparity of power level between the two tiers? I think the easiest way to say this is, if the I'm going to kind of go backwards. If the power level disparity between the two tiers is gigantic, just either don't play, or learn, like put in the time to learn one of these decks, because... I'm like you, my brain does not function well for combo decks, but if I put in the time, like you can you can work around it, right? Like you're you're a smart human being, you'll you'll figure it out. You're just it's gonna take more time. It's not that you can't do it, it's harder. It's different than what you're used to. Um, is it better to play the powerful deck at a medium skill over or drop down to the next tier? Uh, in general, I say it's better to drop down to the next tier, play a deck that you really understand, you understand all of your matchups. Because here's the thing. You might not play against against those top tier decks a ton. You know, it's not like these are the only selections. And like we showed on the show, we don't even think Breach is the top dog in the format anymore. I think Mono White is one of the better decks you could be playing, and that one's not really a combo deck, even though it has it in there. And you got some stuff like that. So I played 16 rounds over the course of the weekend, and I played Inverter twice and Soltai once or twice. Yeah, and you across just played, all 16 rounds. Yeah, you just played a bunch of other decks that are in the format. Yeah. Um, uh, as for approaching the metagame for it, I, for most of my career, I definitely beat my head against the wall too much and just tried to beat the good decks. And there's a reason they are the good decks. It's because they're not easily beaten. And the, like the good players are going to play them and they're going to punish you when you play against them with a deck that is subpar. So if winning is your only objective, like that's what you find fun and magic and doing that stuff, yeah, tr try to beat the good decks. You find a you know, a niche in the metagame that does it, that works, but there's a reason the good decks are good. Try them out. Yeah, and one of the things that does usually help is, you know, the element of surprise, right? Right now, the the top decks are generally geared towards beating aggressive decks because that's what's been popular, and we're moving into a part of Pioneer where the aggressive decks are a lot less popular and things like White Devotion and these green aggressive decks, which are a lot different than Mono Red and Mono Black, and even spirits, and then things like you know Salt Delirium and uh, you know Mono Green Devotion that w we both liked from the challenge. 
So, you know, those decks are th things that people just aren't prepared for right now. And they were probably good choices uh, for this weekend. They might be good choices like, you know, next weekend and the weekend after. But there will come a time when the, the top tier will adjust. What you have to understand is that, you know, the, the decks that are at the top are going to be good decks for a long period of time. And the decks that are, uh, you know, that are good beneath them are usually only in tier two for a couple of weeks. And then the metagame adjusts to them. And then they they open up a hole elsewhere. And you've got to find that hole and bring, you know, a new deck that, you know, exploits them on a different axis and take advantage of the time that they're not prepared for you. And there's one more thing I want to add to this when we're talking about, like, you know, where should you play? Like, what deck should you, you know, where should you fall in deck choice and stuff? This isn't competitive diving. Like, you don't get extra points for degree of difficulty. So if you're playing, like, one of the decks that's not as good as the other ones, you're still in the level playing field when you sit down at the table, and the good decks are going to beat you. So don't beat yourself before you get to the tournament if you're trying to be competitive. Yeah, um, and I, I agree. In general, I, I would try to play some of the you know, more powerful decks. And the, if you, you know, if you're thinking of Demir Inverter as like a straight combo deck, it isn't, you know, if you like mid-range decks, you, you'll, you should be able to pick up Inverter. You know, some of the ways it wins are a little unique because of those interactions, but that's one aspect of the deck. You're still going to be good at thought seizing your opponents and diagnosing where to, you know, uh, make the incision, so to speak. Um, and like and you'll be good at, you know, sequencing your removal and, and you know, using your mana efficiently to set up dig through time and stuff like that. You know, that's all, you know, fair magic. It's only the way that they win that things get weird. And oftentimes, like, Jace is just a Planeswalker that you protect and use to generate a bunch of card advantage um, instead, of, instead of a combo piece. So, uh, you know, if you're an aggro player, right now the metagame isn't great for you, but it does look like the green aggressive decks are looking a little bit better, right? You know, there's fewer of these red decks, fewer chain rollers around to take advantage of your elves, uh, and fewer easy ways to answer these three mana five power creatures or you know whatever the devotion deck is going over the top so if you like putting creatures in the battlefield and turning them sideways you know, maybe you look at the green decks at least for now but if you're the kind of person that isn't going to play the you know the best deck the deck that's good for three months straight you've got to be willing to put in a lot of hours because you always need to be ahead of the metagame you, you basically need to be ahead on every other axis because you're conceding that your deck is less powerful than your opponent's, right? So you need to be ahead of the metagame, know exactly what your opponents are doing, have a very well-tuned list, and be doing something that your opponents aren't expecting. And if you're doing all of those things with a deck that isn't sacrificing that much power level, because I agree with Tannen again, if the gap is too big, then you should just be playing the best deck. I don't think that's the case right now in Pioneer, so I think you can play some of these Tier 2 strategies, but you have to have a really well-tuned list, have to really know the matchup inside now, and you have to be bringing something at least a little bit unexpected. Like, I would not be copying a Mono-White Devotion deck from last week and, you know, bring it into this week. But I like, you know, I like Jameson Purdue's Mentalish uh, Martial Tech. I think I would try to find a way to even, you know, increase that. Maybe go no Owls, find another one drop to play or more good two drops and get aggressive on people. You know, maybe Splash Black and play Scrap Heap Scrounger or something weird like that and go similar to what uh, Raja Suleiman's been doing. I don't know. Like, I, you know, those are just spitballs off the top of my head. Um but I, I, you've got to be doing something a little bit different, a little unexpected, and you've got to be doing it with extreme confidence that you know you are taking the optimal line for your deck and for your play style. Absolutely. Uh, the next question comes from the Great Boomer, one of another one of the great, great screen names that we have. I knocked over one of my piles of pennies. That was that noise. I don't know if you heard it. I wish y'all could see my face at Ross right now. <laughs> That's not a sentence I expected you to say to me ever. 
Did you not know that I have piles of pennies on my desk? I've been in your I've been in your house multiple times, and no, I didn't know that. They're recent. Yeah, they're I, recent. I, I, say, I, I went around my house collecting all the loose change off of various surfaces, and I've I've collected it into piles of pennies. It's yeah. like two dollars in pennies. Oh, now you can afford to buy a few bananas or something. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It was worth mm-hmm. all the time. Anyway, no, I've got to go. I'm going to go pay Stephen Green for magic cards with them because I I bought like two random commons ones from the sales booth and had fifty cents in change in my pocket and just handed them that. And Stephen Green got really mad because like it was like five pennies. He's like, I had to count those pennies. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's legal tender. Get fucked. But yeah, anyway, so the great boomer. Uh, when testing for an event, what would you think is the optimal amount? Min or max is good. And what would actual testing be? This question is difficult. So it's always relative to the amount of time you have, right? You know, right. if you have a month straight, it's not like you should stop after two weeks. Uh, you know, even if not literally nothing happens, you know, in the metagame. So like, even disregarding the fact that magic is dynamic and always changing, you know, if if literally no, no one else even advances in the metagame, you should still put two more weeks of testing in. Right. Or about about as much as you were before. So I think this question is, you know, less about straight hours and uh, and more about, you know, the, the uh, ratio of like different kinds of testing. I think a lot of people get, you know, a little too caught up in just jamming as many games as they can. I think there's a lot of value in sitting down and talking about what's happening in them with your testing partner or who else uh, and really analyzing those games that you're playing. So you maximize each one. Um, so I, I like to do that a lot. Like I'll play, I'll sit down and I'll usually play like two leagues. Right. And then, uh, you know, even if I'm alone, I'll sit and think about like what happened in these leagues. Maybe I'll send a message out to some people, uh, you know, my teammates or whatever. And then, you or know, tell me. them like, yeah, you still count as a teammate, Tannen. Yeah. You're a, you're a teammate emeritus. I still, it's, it's really funny. I know exactly when you're testing, well, obviously because you're talking about it, but I'll look at my phone and I'll have like six messages from you. And I'm like, yep, Ross is playing magic because it's a yeah. long discussion about what happened. It, it's like two screenshots of me getting my opponent in a really funny way yeah. and me getting excited about my deck. And then, you know, one message of, I just went 3-2 in this league, beating these three matchups and losing these two, a screenshot of my deck list, and then two messages of things I liked and didn't like about what was there. And that's and what I'll send. When I was traveling, there was another message of, "Do you have any of these cards?" <laughs> yeah, yes. That that comes that doesn't that comes later in the testing process. Yeah, it's an important it's an important part of the process, but it, uh, you know it, it comes later. So uh, I I'm an advocate for doing a lot more of that analysis. I actually just like watching streams too and like getting different Same. perspectives. Same. Um. So I try to mix that in. I don't play as many just total games as, as other people. I probably should play a little bit more than I do. Um, Same. But I, I'm not the kind of person who just wants to sit there, even if I have all day, to go like, you know, 10 a.m., 10 p.m. Let's just play 12 hours of games. Uh, I really want to be very contemplative. I want to make sure I remember everything that happened. Because sometimes if you're so worried about, like, getting games in and you're just trying to rapid fire them, they can all become a blur. Right. And that's bad. You you want to be soaking in as much information as possible. You want to be absorbing it and, and building your intuition. Uh, and that comes from deep analysis. So, uh, you know. Maybe this isn't exactly what they meant by this question, but I I think that's the that's the takeaway I want to give you. Huh, all right, I like it. I like it. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next one because you answered that one better than I could, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really add much. Use surprise, there. surprise. Yeah, I know, right? As a pioneer player, I feel my. This, I'm sorry. This is from Isaac Bant Spirit Guide. As a pioneer uh, player, you're skipping the first part of this question, Tina. Oh, oh, sorry. There's a giant line through, but yes, we should answer it. My roommate keeps putting my cast iron pan in the sink to soak. Is this an executable offense? Yes. And I'm Raheel uh, put a great answer. And it was yes, provided the cast iron pan is utilized in the execution. 
and, um, I, and I agree. I was I actually talked to Ross about this before the tur- the uh, tournament before before the podcast. I am guilty of this. I did this a long time ago to one of my friends' uh, walks. It's it's a very it's a similar thing. You cannot clean it with water. Uh, you cannot just like let it soak. So I'm guilty of this, but I know the correct way to do this now. And uh, yeah, don't do this. <laughs> it messes the stuff up. Anyway, as a pioneer player, I feel myself being more excited for standard sets than I was as a modern player. Do you think that with Pioneer being more recent cards, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, they said this twice, sorry. Do you think of Pioneer being more recent cards? Do you think that standard sets will be more exciting for Pioneer players than for eternal formats for the past? I think the answer is like mostly yes. Because you can get excited about these cards and especially the power level of some of the cards they've printed in the last year. They're gonna have big effects on this format and it can spawn new decks or new strategies more readily than you could in modern. That stuff is kind of set. I will say this. What is it? I think there's been four straight sets that have helped uh, Titan decks, <laughs> which is kind of funny in modern. You know, Titan gets better and better every set because it gets new cool toys for some reason in every set, but like whatever. But yeah, I do think it's great that it gives you a reason to get standard cards, right? Because like standards at an all time low. I don't know if you've seen the schedule for SCG, but there's almost no standard during the season. They There's no classics besides the team events. It's the only time you can play standard. They're, the standard is the new legacy. Yeah. Did you see the turnouts that it was getting? They were small. Oh, yeah. The standard classics were like always like 70, 70 yeah. to 80. Yeah. And I got to say, I think standard's better off than it was. It's definitely cooler. The blue eye deck is very good, obviously, but there's other cool things you could be doing. You know, again, we have to see how it works out or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I am excited to look at new packs and see more cards that could possibly have an impact because let's be real when you look at a spoiler you see like one card maybe two you're like oh that could be a cool fringe card in legacy or a cool cyber card in legacy or that could be a cool maybe an upgrade or something cool that happens in modern you know there's maybe a card is set there's definitely more than one for pioneer and a lot of sets we've seen one set added since pioneers has been a format and it completely reshaped the format (laughs) yeah uro you know thassa's oracle and underworld breach and i think we're gonna have that happened quite a bit. You know, I mean, as long as cards are good, you're going to have that happen for the next year or two before, you know, the format, because at one point in time, this format will be settled or more settled than it was. You know, when we start having lots and lots of sets, we've done a, maybe another banning or two through the thing, and you, you just have kind of established decks. At some point in time, that will happen. But until then, Sander's going to be really shaping up Pioneer for quite a bit. And I, I like the idea of that, honestly. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be more affected by new sets than modern. It's just a smaller format. The barrier to entry in terms of power level on on rate uh, is lower. Um, so you, you know you are definitely going to see more of an impact uh, than in older formats for Pioneer, and that is a you know that's just a good thing. You know, hopefully we get whatever the next set is. Acoria, is that it? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, hopefully we see some cool stuff from that. That sounds like a new plane. I don't know. Yeah, we're new seeing... weird stuff happening. We've got a little bit of a teaser, like no cards yet, but we got like the, someone saw a box, like they showed the box and the packs, and it looks like there might be like Bailoff type stuff going on here, so it might have some like cool green creatures, yay, for like the fifth set in a row with just really powerful green and blue cards, but we'll see, we'll find out. Um, Ross, I, I got a little bit of a problem right now, I don't know if you know about this, but you see me yawning a minute ago while you were talking? It wasn't you. Like, I'm actually tired. I've been up since oh, like yeah. like 5.36 this morning. I had a meeting at 7 a.m. And uh, my wife is texting me because she's on the way home right now. We're about to go out with some friends and have some fun. And, yeah, that's going to be fun. But I'm an old man, man. I'm already tired. 
Um, Vodka Red Bull. No, I mean, like, I, I might I might slam one of the energy drinks or whatever that I have here, but, like, she just got done with data collection for her PhD, so, like, she doesn't have many steps left before defending. You know, like, when uh, we're looking at maybe a couple months to defending, and, yeah. like, when you're getting this close to the finish line, she'll just randomly come in a room and high-five me at times, <laughs> or, like, every now and then she'll, she'll be, like, sometimes, you know, I'm in the office and I'll be messing with stuff, and she's, you know, disser- she calls it dissertating. She'll be dissertating in the living room. And uh, I'll just hear pomp and circumstance come up on the on the computer. She'll start playing the graduation song, you know, to get herself like hyped and stuff. And she's just like generally happier because you know the the end is near, the end is nigh. Thank God. But I don't know if I'm gonna. Dude, how do you do it? I don't know if I'm gonna make it through tonight, man. Um, get the second wind. I honestly, I I don't know how I do it. You know, granted, I, I don't have seven a.m. meetings. I guess that's the, that's the answer. You, yeah. I don't normally stop, have stop those. having seven a.m. meetings. Yeah, I don't normally have those, but like. Man, if somebody needs to see me at a certain time, they got a weird schedule. I got to do it, you know, and so kind of stuff. Yeah. But man, all right, Ross. I, I wish you luck. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll have to survive going out to drink with friends, eat and drink with friends. So I'll be all right. But um, it's gonna be awful. It's gonna be. I'm gonna hate the entire time. But uh, anyway, uh, we've mentioned a few things on the show. You writing articles, you doing your show, you being on Twitter. If people wanted to see or hear more of that, where would they go? Whew. First things first, Twitter. My handle is at Ross Hunnitz. It's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I do try to respond to people on there as much as possible, so uh, I would appreciate a follow. And if you want to ask me questions, I'm there. I check it pretty regularly. Uh, For articles, my articles go up weekly on StarCityGames.com. They go up on Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern. I believe my article for this week is up. I was worried it might not get up today because I got it in a little late after traveling home on Monday. Uh, fortunately, I have a very wonderful and understanding editor in Cedric Phillips. Um, so that article is now up. I'm sure he, you know, worked hard getting it done along with our copy editor, uh, John Del Beatty. So shout out to them. Um, and versus live the show I co-host with Corey Baumeister that happens on star city or twitch.tv slash star city games. Uh, the same channel you go to to watch open coverage. And we do, you know, versus live Tuesdays and Thursday uh afternoons 1 to 4 p.m eastern time where we just play you know fun matches that we think are relevant to tournaments like uh today we're getting back in the swing of modern because we got a few modern tournaments coming up pioneer we've been doing a lot and, and breaking down a lot recently and standard is not super relevant so we got back into the swing of pioneer or of, of modern and played uh an amulet titan gauntlet in on today's show uh so uh, you know we have a fun time if you're able to catch us live we do take questions from the audience live on air um, and, and always have a good time with it. And if you aren't able to catch us live, say you really want to see that show because you're trying to you know learn Amulet Titan yourself, and we do like discuss lines and things like that. The shows do go up in the Star City Games YouTube channel later on. So Tuesday shows will be up Friday on the following Friday, three days later, and then the Thursday shows go up four days later the following Monday. Uh, so you can catch those later on YouTube uh, as well. And thank you for all the support, Tannen. Where can we find you, except for, you know, whatever bat- suburb of Baton Rouge you live in? Uh, yeah, I was to say, you can find me on Twitter at the Tan and Grace. Thanks for the nice... Tan's address is 327. You're actually pretty close. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay th- three, 3274. Uh, I had a funny one like that. I had a, I had a friend, he lives in Texas, and he uh, he needed some magic cards, right? And I was like, hey, I have those. I'll just, like, you know, mail them to you or whatever. 
and I mailed him to him and he like put up on Twitter. He's like, not every day that you get mail from the Tan and Grace or whatever. It just takes a photo of it. And I was like, dude, please, please take that photo down. You just have my address <laughs> on that, please. It's not like it's the end of the world. I'm never going to get like a stalker or anything, I don't yeah. think, but <laughs> that's not an invite. It's better, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Tan already has a stalker. His name is Brennan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, I do want to take a moment and shout out everybody who is supporting us. Like you said, thanks for all the support, all the patrons that we have. Um, this is that part of the show where I do mention that. And there's going to be a little bit, if you usually tune this out, hopefully you stayed because uh, we do have a little bit different stuff to talk about. Um, so I'm going to go through the whole spiel. If you want to talk and see and hear more of the show from Twitter, I am buying time if you haven't noticed because yeah, there it is. Plus I hadn't pulled up the link with all of our stuff on it yet. There we go. <clears throat> the Twitter for the show is at Cast Pioneer. Uh, pretty often we're liking stuff on there, retweeting cool deck lists. A lot of dope shit gets retweeted and stuff on there. So if you ever, you know, if you 5-0 or 4-1 with some cool decks or you do well at your local tournament, send us a picture of your deck or whatever. Very likely that we're going to retweet it. One of us is uh, on the Twitter account that day. We do some dope memes too or whatever. The Discord that we were talking about a lot in the show, the link is on our Twitter so if you need to Google it or whatever, you can find it it's at Cast Pioneer. If you put Pioneer Cast, you'll also find it there. So you can find the link to the Discord. Uh, about 600 people in here right now. We've been talking about that. Uh, the the food and pet section. There's a new pet section is uh, popping off. The pet section is like my my guilty pleasure right now. You don't have to be guilty about that. Yeah, it's like there's just so many bellies that need to be rubbed in there. Just yeah. just so many, and it's it's pretty great. People are getting real creative with the photos and stuff too. I drop a Benny photo in there about once a week at least because everybody needs to see my dog. Anyway, I haven't dropped any jelly bean photos yet, so you'll you, be getting those soon. You need to get some jelly bean photos in there. Just just make sure you ration them out. Like don't don't yeah go I'm too hard. Gonna, I'm not gonna flood you with jelly beans. Look, gluttony is my favorite sin, but like you need to ration it out quite a bit. Um, and that Patreon that we mentioned, that is patreon.com slash pioneercast. And again, we're super, thank- su- eh, super thankful for all 70 patrons that we have right now. Um, you guys are, you guys and girls are awesome at home. We are going to need stuff. one of you to stop patronizing us, though, so we get it'd to 69 really, patrons. It'd be really nice. But uh, anyway. Uh, but we appreciate you anyway. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Um, want to talk about it just for a minute. We have a $2 and a $5 tier, and we have the new $10 tier coming out. It's about to go wow. live. Yeah. Um, we have a couple things in the works for that, but uh, that will be the quickest way for you to get one of the new tokens that uh, we have shown. I think uh, the, yeah, it's been up on my Twitter and the Twitter of the show. I don't know if Ross shared it or not, but we'll do the token again. Sometimes it's the, I'm not sure if I did. I, it was a busy weekend. I've got the tokens. So I'll take a picture yeah, and tweet it out. Ross actually physically has the tokens. Um, if you look at our Discord or our Twitter, it's the actual like avatar. It's, it's the photo. So that's what the token's going to look like. A lot of cool stuff going on there. We're going to have some fun with those and sending them out to people and the patrons um, in the future. Those are from Inkland Customs, by the way. Yeah. Make sure you check out her stuff. Just super, super talented. If you don't follow her Twitter, make sure you follow her Twitter. She does, um, what's the damn app that everybody's doing where, like, you do the dance thing with somebody else? You do the dance duet? Yeah, okay, Ross is looking at me like I'm crazy because I probably am. I, I thought about, as I was asking the question, I was like, Ross, you should see the face Ross is making right now. Uh, if, you, if you're in our Discord you know, and you know the Ross uh, reactions, it's, it's one of the Ross reactions. But, um, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Tannen. So, like, look at me right now. Like, can you see me right now? Is we have our yeah. cameras on? You know, like, there's this thing where someone like record themselves dancing, and then you have to do the dance. So they do like the, you know, like the cool stuff. I hope y'all can mo- hear me moving around. They do like these cool dance. I don't know. Tannen, it's, it's th- that was not cool stuff. I don't know what I just saw you do, but it does not fall under the category cool stuff. I had a convulsion, Ross. Please don't make fun of me for it. It's a condition. I don't want to talk about it. But anyway, the, yeah, give us money. 
<laughs> become a patron yes. uh, but we really do appreciate everybody uh we really do, do need to pay brent our wonderful wonderful editor who does a lot of work to make us sound so much better than we deserve and so much better than all those other podcasts yeah i'm calling you out what's up you will get those signed tokens through the patreon if you were at that third tier that ten dollar tier you'll get them in two months five dollar tier you get them in four months and then uh we'll probably do uh, it doesn't work out monetarily, but we'll probably do like six months for the two dollar tier. It's not the same amount of money as the other ones, but like whatever. I don't want to have. I don't want people to, to wait like nine months for a token. You know, we'll we'll figure it out. Um, we'll try to get them signed as soon as possible. Uh, I gotta figure out when I'm gonna run into Ross. I'm gonna go to some event sometime soon. And we'll 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 sign them and then we'll get them to Brent and Brent will get them out, get them out to everybody because he's the uh, the the true. He's like the actual person who does the most work for the show. You know, like he does. You and I are like the face of the show, but we're actually just like the quote unquote talent. You know, like if you, you know, like movies, it's like the, the movie star is only there for like the, the fraction of the time of the movie. They're there to film their scenes. And there's so many people who put in all the work and like do all of the digital stuff. And it takes like a year after filming it to get it ready. Like Brent's that. Yeah. Brent is the person that actually does, you know, the, the, the things. The director, the editor, like if we had to write scripts, I'm sure Brent would do a lot of it. Like, you know. Fortunately, we are talented enough to work without scripts. Yes. Yes. I've been on a live show with scripts before. It's awful. Yeah, I said that. If anybody remembers my HPL days, that's a throwback to blowback for sure. If anybody remembers any of that stuff. But uh, we're just so incredibly talented that we can do an entire show staying very on target, get through all the points we want to make. And we don't need a script at all. Yeah. No, everything flows smoothly. No, no tan and tangents. No Ross rants. Somebody uh, called it that in the discord. I told him I'm stealing it. Like that's the, that's the copyright thing. So the the people like people like to make fun of us for on the show of just talking about baseball randomly for thirty minutes or whatever. That's a that's a tan and tangent. When the jazz get pulled up, it's a Ross rant. We're not so, talking about the jazz right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I I know, I know. That's why I didn't bring him up in the show. But you anyway, just did. Just, you just did. Ross, stop. <laughs> I love you, buddy. All right, with that, um, we love you all. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>